Jarvis, drop my needle. Hello, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley, and if you are interested in listening to idiots, you came to the right place. Have a nice day. Woo! That's an attention getter. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. What we're dealing with here is a complete lack of respect for the law. Oh my God, he's an idiot. You know, of course, that you're out of your jurisdiction. Personally, I think you're an idiot. But that's the evidence in the car. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Always like to keep my audience riveted. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends, and welcome to Free Range Idiocy, the podcast about everything, but mostly just the stuff we like. Bet you thought we forgot about that whole movie combo platter gimmick, didn't you? Ha! We never forget a gimmick. Maybe birthdays, phone numbers, anniversaries, or names of children, but never a gimmick. We're going to be looking at the true master of disaster, the fanatics of fisticuffs, the grand poobah of pugilism, the barons of boxing. Ah, uh, what the hell? We all know what this is. This is the Sylvester Stallone and Carl Weathers Tour de Force, Rocky 1 and 2, in this episode 91, Going the Distance. I am your Uncle Todd, and with me, as always, is the man who once said to be the master of all things having to do with the squared circle, except how to actually do the stuff within the squared circle. He has been my partner in ADC for over two decades, and a former Mike Tyson punch-out grand champion, I give you the man they call Tim. Greetings and salutations, my friend. How are you? I'm doing all right. I feel like I might have overshot all that because we are, like, recording in the afternoon, and I've just had coffee, so I'm, I'm a little hepped up right now. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is Free Range Idiocy Caffeinated Edition. <laughs> is it is it normal for my che- teeth to be chattering this much? <laughs> I hope so. Oh, boy. The, the palpitations are totally normal. Yes. Well, we have a lot to cover and a lot to go over here. Uh, we have a special guest coming up. But first, we need to get into the Week in Geek. And for the third episode running, we got ourselves a sponsor. Oh, and who would that be, sir? This episode's Week in Geek is sponsored by sadistic municipal snowplow drivers. Yes, those heroes of the road who seemingly lie in wait until you've just finished shoveling and or snowblowing your driveway, only to crash by at max speed, spewing an avalanche of ice chunks and snowboulders not usually seen outside of the Rocky Mountains while giggling all the while. Thanks once again to our sponsors, municipal snowplow drivers. Because screw you, that's why. I love how there's like an edge to all of these as you present them. Hey, you know, I mean, I we've got what we've got. I'm not saying we're making millions off of this, but, you know, a few oh, pennies here and there. I mean, nice. Very nice. It's a living. It is. So what do we got for the Week in Geek this week, sir? The Week in Geek. So funky. All right. Well, as is becoming our custom, we are going to drop down into the Red Five zone for a little bit of trivia before we we get to the news <sighs> of the week. I keep forgetting this is going to happen. I really, I I would have bourbon on hand if I knew. <laughs> it's too early in the day for that. No, not for this. Not for this. All right. Hit me with it. What do we got? All right. So after three rounds, our overall score: Man, they call Tim ten. Uncle Todd seven. Otherwise known as the guy with all the answers in the book that he has in front of him, 10. The guy who knows none of this, 7. Which makes it slightly less impressive, doesn't it? Totally on the up and up. Here we go, sir. Vote early, vote often. Question number one. (laughs) Gotta get those little barbs in there, don't you? Dude, you're in Chicago. We know this is not in the up and up. It's okay. All right. Well, question number one. 
Uh, what canine-based species has been in the service of the huts for almost 25,000 standard years? And I will give you a hint if you would like one, but I will go through the answers first. I'm uh, sure. A, I'll, take, I'll take a hint. All right. A, Wookiees. Mm. B, Ewoks. C, Clatoonians. Or D, Weequays. Here's the hint. Weequays. Uh, you totally yeah. made that last one up. That's not no, a thing. It was in the book. Okay. It was in the book. All right. Uh, so the hint is uh, there is a bit of a uh, nod to them in Book of Boba Fett. Okay. If that I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Wookies then. You're going to go with Wookies. Yep. What are you What are you doing? So I went with Clatuinians. Mm-hmm. And guess uh, what the answer is? And the answer is Clatuinians. Oh, surprise, surprise, surprise. But the reason I said Book of Boba Fett is because, uh, as we discussed uh, in episode four with the, the dinner with the heads of the five families, uh, the more dog-faced looking aliens um, were referred to uh, as Clatoonian. Cla- I don't know if they use this, but they were, they were Clatoonians. Is, is what they were called. So uh, All right. that that is, uh, and I did look it up in the w- w- Wikipedia, not Wikipedia, Wikipedia. Uh, and so Clatoonians uh, are in fact the uh, dog-faced uh, clan that we saw in Book of Boba Fett. Next. Just wanted to point that out. All right, uh, question number two. What species served as guards in Jabba's palace? A, Amanin, B, Trandoshan, C, Gamorian, or D, Bothan? That would be C, Gamorian. You, and that is also what I put. You are correct, sir. Ree, ree. I, you know, I try to give a few that are a little more within the mainstream, you know, knowledge base. I, I understand some of these are a little out there, so I'm trying to balance it out. Out there. I see what you did there. Galaxy <laughs> far, far away. <laughs> Indeed. Bye. Bye. Uh, who was Anakin, uh, number three, who was Anakin's stepbrother? A, Owen Lars, B, Ofa Lars, C, Omen Lars, or D, Oaken Lars? Oh my gosh, the crap is this? <laughs> Wait a minute, was it, did, what, what was, what was the, so it, the first one's Owen, then it was, who's B? Ofa. Who okay. I had to look at twice because it reminded me of Afa of the Wild Samoans. But <laughs> well, first thing I thought was you know like the Opa. Oh, Opa! Know, like, there we go. Yes, some, there. Have some Uzo or something uh, going around. Some blue Uzo apparently. Mm-hmm. And then what was the third one? Omen. Okay, I thought for a second I I got confused between that and like the eight foot tall dude who's in WWE now. What is it? Omos. Oh, Omos. Omos. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. Um, and then the last one was Oaken, which may be you know a name from Lord of the Rings. So. <laughs> I, I I have I know it's not Owen because that's Uncle Owen. So it's got to be one of the well, other well, three. And like you said, what, I'll reread what? the question. Who is Anakin Skywalker's stepbrother? Oh, well, then it, it's Owen. There you go. Right? And that is what I answered as well. And that is the correct answer. A, Owen Lars. Well, the great thing about this is that you're welcome, not, by the way, since you have like three or four ahead, you're just now permanently ahead because there's no way that you're going to get a wrong answer and I'm going to get a right answer. Oh, come so. on now. 
it's 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 fine. As soon as I got the first answer wrong, I was already I've I've lost this. However long that you want to run this out, I'm just permanently behind. So whatever, whatever. Right, no, number four. Who, disguised as Senator Amidala, died in the attack on Amidala's ship as she arrived to vote on the Military Creation Act? A. Dorme. B. Sashe. C. Yane. Or D. Corday. And if you want a hint, I can give you the movie. I hate you so much. (laughs) I I would punch you right in the mouth right now. (laughs) You know, every week... There comes a point where you utter that line. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Give me the hint like it's going to help. So it, this is from Attack of the Clones, uh-huh. if, if that gives you a point of reference. It, it, I, I know I, I had a vague idea of where it comes from. I got no idea who any of these characters are All right. because I just I don't know those movies that well. So, so A, Dorme, B, Sashe, C, Yane, or D, Corday. Well, I've never been a fan of Yanni's music, so let's take that one out. Okay. Uh, Dorme's you know intriguing. You like the sachet a little bit, though. Well, you know, <laughs> I don't like to brag. Um, it's all in the hips. It's all in the hips, baby. You got to keep them. You got to keep the flexibility, the pliability in your hips, if you will, as you get older, because you know that's where that's where the funk comes from is the hips. All right. um, and uh, so Dorme is intriguing because then we have the Dormelage uh, from uh, Black Panther. And then, uh, I don't know, like you said, Sashay. But I think it's, uh, I think it's um, what was B? So A, Dorme, B, Sashay, C, Yane, or D, Corday. I don't think it's Corday. So I think it's Sashay. You think it's Sashay? Yeah. All right. I chose Corday. So it's Corday. Okay. So we know that one. And you're right. That is the answer. Corday. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Go figure. Wow. (laughs) Remarkable. Remarkable. All right. Last question. Into what did Emperor Palpatine reorganize the Republic? A, the first galactic empire. B, the second. C, the third. Or D, the new Republic? Well, it's not the new Republic. So I'm going to guess it's the first galactic empire. That is also my guess, and you are correct, sir. Well done. So how many you had by now? You're like five up on me, right? So let me see. So you got one, two. So Uncle Todd got three this round. I got one, two, three, four, five, which I know you Shocker! <laughs> because at this point, it's just not even worth faking it anymore. And so the overall score is now, uh, and do check my math because I did have a little bit of a faux pas last time, uh, but we were at 10-7 with you and I getting, uh, with me getting five, I'm now at 15. With you getting three, you are now at 10. It is now 15-10. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well done, sir. Well done. You can just kiss my (laughs) grits. Family show. Man, we should right. keep trying to remind myself that. Well, let's let's now uh, pull up and fly out of this this zone of, of, of misery for Uncle Todd. <laughs> it's not <laughs> even like we're pulling up out of the trench in the Death Star. Like this is like I I feel like I'm I'm in that pool on Dagobah, <sighs> right next to the X Wing. Yep, all sloppy with mud and grit. Yeah, I've got that thing with the eyeball like gnawing at my right butt cheek. <laughs> Do it.
All right. So next item, uh, much as we did last time, uh, a very interesting chapter five book of Boba Fett. Just want to do <laughs> That's underselling few, it, sir. That is underselling it. Doing a few hot takes on this one. The return of Mendo. Oh my gosh. So, so sir, good. what say you? I love the fact that, I mean, they gave it, a, they, they told you, I mean, they telegraphed this. At the end of episode four, having the Mandalorian music, everyone was like, oh, Mando's coming back. How are they going to do it? How are they gonna... And in true fashion, we're just like, you know what? We aren't even going to bother to tease you. Here he is. Scene one, shot one. Just mm-hmm. boom. And you, I mean, you knew even before he came through the little, the little plastic, you know, freezer uh, curtain there. Like you saw the spear. You saw his outline. It's so recognizable. And yeah, Mando right from the jump. I loved it. Um, the whole episode to me was great. And, and, you know, I love how it's, it's kind of a, a pseudo episode zero for Mando season three, mm-hmm. but it totally belongs in book of Boba Fett. Yep. And that's the thing. Like I, I really believe like this is going to fold into Boba Fett's story in a much more meaningful way. Yeah. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And Hey, we all get to watch some really cool stuff, whatever. But to me, it, it, it works on, on, a bunch of different levels and was just a fantastic episode drama wise uh just visuals were were outstanding uh even comedy you know i know everything that's in there was just i mean oh my gosh so so great so great just the that whole was. thing i loved it loved all of it it what about it actually, you sir what'd you think no i i, I agree um i thought it was uh and and you know it it's kind of funny, uh, you know. We didn't plan this with with Favreau and Filoni, but but it was kind of funny watching him walk through the meatpacking plant. I'm like, is is he going to go, you know, throw a couple jabs, you know, at those bad boys, or, or, or what? Uh, since <laughs> we are talking about Rocky today, indeed. Um, but uh, no, I, I, you know, I thought it was great in that it it almost seemed, or, or I think you said it best. Episode zero of season three. Um, I love how the first line, or 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 he gets to a point that's not the first line, but he gets to the point of uttering that that, mm. that famous line, you know, I can bring you in hot or I, or I bring you in no, warm. No, I, can, I can bring you in cold. Yes. Um, oh, it's such great delivery. Oh my the gosh. Way, yes. just a, and I know I, I kind of gave Pedro Pascal a hard time in the last episode, you know, but, but it's all in good fun, you know, but man, that he does such a great job delivering lines like that, mm-hmm. you know, and just that I can bring you in warm. Or I can bring you in cold. And just the way he says it, it's, it, it's kind of menacing, but it's more nonchalant. Like, I really don't care if I have to shoot you or not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, almost like almost like Rocky at, on the docks where he's like, listen, I ain't emotional about this. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't exactly. emotionally involved. You exactly. know? Oh, great. But no, I mean, I think it was... Um it was a strong episode. Uh, I, I didn't catch the name of where he went. Like that was such a strange, it, it's like this ring in the middle of space and there's all this like city built on this ring. And yeah, I didn't get that either. Uh, I've saw it in, in like a breakdown episode. I think it's from, I don't know where it comes from, but it, it, there is kind of a precedent for it in mm-hmm. the star Wars universe, but they don't really express, I don't believe they expressly mention what the name of it is. But it is remarkable in that, like, okay, yeah. now there's places like this in the mm-hmm. Star Wars galaxy. It's not all just on a planet. There are these, there's at least one of these space stations that is a ring around a planet. Like, holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, actually, and it I wasn't love even the... around a planet. Now that I think about it, it was just a ring out in like a weird, like half ring yeah. out in space. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't think it was around a planet. I think it was just there. And it was just interesting that, you know, you, you're you kind of thinking like, okay, what, what is he doing? Why is he, you know, has, has he just gone back to bounty hunting? You know, especially after, you know, the prior Boba episodes where he talks about wanting to kind of, you know, move away from being on his own to kind of having a, a clan around him and, and that sort of thing. And so, you know, of course, what we end up finding out is he's doing this because he's trying to find where the, co- the, 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 the Mandalorian coven is going to be uh, recreated and Covert. he finds it and uh, reconnects there. Um, I, you know, I really enjoyed just, just how it was just a focused episode on him. Um, didn't have to jump between Boba and what's going on in Tatooine. Um, this was just kind of telling his story about how he is going to arrive and be a part of it all. Um, and, and I thought it was done just masterfully. Um, you know, they, they, they get into some of the background with the dark saber. Um, I, I thought the night of a thousand tears was incredibly done. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you've never seen the empire like look that ruthless. I, I mean, there, mm. there's been moments in the movies and, and, but, but I, I would wager to say like, I think seeing all of those tie bombers that, that entire just like mass squadron that was flying over bombing the crap out of Mandalore, um, and, and just everything that was going on, you know, throughout that was way more menacing than what we saw in rise of Skywalker with the, you know, never ending star destroyer fleet, you know, um, mm. It, it, it was just, it was very, and, and, you know, again, I, I love how it always comes down to the, uh, I, I forget her name. Not, not, I don't think she's called the armorer, but, but, but the one who is creating all of the armor. Yeah. I, no, I, she is the armorer. Is, is, okay. Is, so, so she is referred yeah. to, but every time she's, she's making something, there's a story from the past being told, you know what I mean? Mm. And it's, it's mm-hmm. very interesting how, how they keep that going. Um, thought it was interesting with the dark saber that there's an element that he has to learn about wielding it, um, where he actually physically was, was fighting against it. It was, it was almost like he was like carrying like weight around with him when he's trying to like Mm -hmm. swing it around. So something's going on there with that, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then it set up the story of, of, I think what season three is going to be, which is, you know, he, he, you know, he, he wants to remain a part of the coven. So he has to go now atone for, and, and, and I love how they did this. Like he hesitated. He could have lied because they wouldn't have known. Um, mm-hmm. But he he he's honest and truthful about, no, I took my helmet off. And so she's like, well, you can no longer be a Mandalorian. And so his first response is, is of atoning. And he and so now he's going to be traveling. And, 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 and I love this because he's going to go now to Mandalore. He's going to go try and find this place where he needs to atone. And clearly things are going to happen when he's there that are going to build the story out even further. So, um so really excited about that. Um, love the whole like, you know, building. Oh, before I get to, to Tatooine, I love the fact he had to take a transport. We've never seen a character have to take a transport before. Yeah. Yeah. He had to take he had to like take the bus. Oh, my gosh. Like you just and, don't see that with, with like a badass character like, oh, you got to go check your bags. You get you're, yeah. you're taking like a discount flight. You're not even flying first class. Your economy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and the way he's just sitting there and, and, you know, this jetpack next to him and it's just like, this is crazy. Like, this is just like normal, you know, we're kind of seeing like what normal galactic life looks like when you're taking a transport from point A to point B. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so anyways, and, and I loved all the little details, you know, the, 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 the Rodian who little Rodian child who was waving to him. And of course, you know, the correlation of that whole thing, you know, to, to Grogu and, and, you know, clearly where his head is and, 
Um, and you know, the fact that he had the armor, you know, before all this happened, make, make what I can only assume to be like a chain mail sort of, you know, armor for him, um, mm-hmm. is, is what I kind of derive from it. I mean, we don't actually see what she makes, but you know, given what, given you saw some chain links, it, it kind of made me think that way. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then the whole thing where he's, he's working with what's her face to, to build the, uh, you know, the old N- Naboo starfighter is very 18 esque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know yes uh, I, yeah. I had i was trying to place that but yes it was a total a team thing you're it right was. oh my gosh how did it take me how did i not pick that out good call sir good call so yeah and 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 I, and I love the, the the you know the jawas it's like oh yeah get give us a it's it's like the jawas are like the amazon of tattooing you know give them a list and they'll go <laughs> they'll, they'll go collect everything you need and somehow bring it back so except like a very shady amazon like oh they're gonna go steal it from somebody it's like the black market amazon yeah exactly. we'll get you whatever you want someone else will be missing it but meh Oh well, uh, and then we also and when we also got our our uh, space chips, my friend. Oh yes, thank goodness. Oh, that was we, great. We got some space chips in this episode, and and I loved how they pulled right up and just how they filmed that whole thing. I mean, it looks so mm-hmm. cool, and just what a back and forth would look like, you know, as they're flying next to this huge planet and. Um, I don't know. I, I, I get geeked out on all the details like that. I mean, I thought it was just really cool when he's flying it around, they just kind of pull up next to him and he's like, hello officer. And of course we have, yeah. you know, Norm from <laughs> Cheers to there. Be the problem? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gee, I don't so, know. You're flying a 40 year old Naboo starfighter. Um, yeah. And, uh, you're whipping right around a starfighter. I don't know. I think that we, uh, we might need to have a little chat here. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So, uh, and, and of course all that leading to Fennec, uh, you know, basically finding Mando and, and making the offer of, of the muscle that is needed. Um, and you know, I thought it was really cool that he was just, you know, he kind of throws the money back and, you know, given what Boba did for him and, and, in season two that, you know, again, just, just the character of, of, of who he is and, and just, you know, he's like, no, I'll help you guys out. It's on the house. And, uh, so I'm excited to see where it goes. Um, but first... But- He's got to go see someone. But first he has to go see someone. That's right. Which the funny part is now, I don't know if you, how much you've gone into this. I actually watched a video that did like a little breakdown. The not, um, not Norm from Cheers. Uh, the, the other, uh, Ranger. The other pilot. Was the actor who was the body double for Luke Skywalker in the season finale of, uh, season two finale of Mando. Oh, really? So now the thought process is we're going to see Luke Skywalker in Bo- Book of Boba Fett next episode. Because if he's ah. going to, because you, you got to figure like, so this was episode five. There's only seven episodes for Book of Boba Fett. So yep. somewhere we've got to get back to Tatooine. So if they're going to go and, and talk to Luke or he's going to go see Grogu, like you would imagine where he's like, oh yeah, I'll help you out. But I got to go do this first. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. idea is like we're kind of getting like two episodes of Mando dropped into Book of Boba Fett, and then he's we're going to see Luke again. I mean, because yeah. he's you're going to have to, right? Yeah. yeah. So interesting stuff. I don't know. I don't know exactly how it's going to play play out, but oh my gosh, so freaking good. So oh my good. gosh, yeah, no. And and Bryce Dallas Howard directed it, did a phenomenal job. Um, oh yeah. It it I really like this is this is the sort of Star Wars stor- storytelling. Um, I, I shouldn't say it that way. Cause, cause we've been, we've already talked about positively how the storytelling is going, but there, there's something about this episode or the way they crossed over, brought him in. Like 
they're, they're just weaving things together so seamlessly. And, and I love how they take a pause like this to kind of focus on him. Um, now, of course, there are those who, of course, have to call out all the uh, negativity around it, which is funny how this and, and this is kind of the tone of what the argument is. It's like funny how the 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 best episode of Book of Boba Fett is pointing out how much the series is is flailing or missing or something like that. And I'm just like reading this like this all goes back to what we talked about in our prior. Uh, I think it was an episode or two ago where we were talking about the fact yeah. that these are two different characters. Um, they are going to be treated differently. And you know, yes, there, there's a bit more depth maybe to the Mandalorian, but that's not to say there isn't the same depth there for Boba Fett. They're just different characters, you know? And, well, we've and also I, had how many episodes of, of Mando? Right. Of course right. you're going to have more background because we've only gotten the, the, the little bit of Boba that was in season two of Mando, yep. which was, I mean, was good. I mean, more character development in that he had in those little bit parts than he did in either uh, Return of the Jedi or Empire Strikes Back. So yep. points yep. to Favreau, Filoni and, and Robert Rodriguez in, in, you know, for his part in that as well, because the I mean, you saw most of Boba in in the episode that that Robert directed. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, of course, there's more depth to Mando. You've seen him more like there's more and it was more of a blank slate to start with. So you could do kind of what you wanted. Yeah. Now, the thing that's interesting to me is that technically now you have two. Two in, two characters running around with Mandalorian armor. Mm-hmm. one who is kind of sort of not really a Mandalorian, but kind of is. Cause I mean, wasn't Django fed a Mandalorian? Um, or was I he not? Don't think so. Okay. No. So, but, but, but so they, well, actually I think he was. Cause then when you see when Boba pulls up his, uh, chain code, he, he's like, here's my, here's, it goes back to blah, 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 blah. Anyways. But, but regardless, you have two, yeah. you now have two man, two of these characters who are not technically Mandalorians, but are look like them, mm-hmm. but have the armor. And you, so they're both outsiders to this now. Yeah. And, and would also count as outsiders, even in terms of uh, Bo-Katan of the same, because they're not of the same, you know, kind of death watch creed that, you know, the, the armorer and, uh, what's his face, Vizsla, you know, John Favreau Vizsla, uh, mm-hmm. was, so it's, it's very interesting. Now Mando is kind of that he's been kicked out. Like he is much more like Boba Fett now than he was before. Yeah. Because he doesn't have this creed that he's, he is part of anymore, even though he, he's still probably going to live by it, but it's not the way it used to be. Certainly. Yeah. That's intriguing to me. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know that he's necessarily going to end up atoning for what, like, you know, I, I, I think season two did a good job of characters kind of planning some other thoughts in his head about the, the Mandalorian creed. And I think what's, you know, what, what's really interesting is similar to what Boba Fett articulated a few episodes ago around his direction. Now, I think that's what Mando's struggling with now as well. Like now he doesn't have Grogu, but yet he's being pulled mm-hmm. in a direction of wanting to see him. And, you know, I think, again, it's that whole theme of, you know, on paper, these bounty hunters look like interesting characters because they're they're loners and they, they you know, you know, they're, mm. they're out for hire. They do their thing. But at the same time, there is a loneliness to that lifestyle. And mm-hmm. and the fact that that, you know, that they need family and that they need to um, or, or have some kind of group that, that they interact with. I think that's, you know, what. Mando is going to be struggling with. And, and I don't know that he's necessarily going to go like the end game for him is, is that atonement. I wonder if he's going to, 
you know, especially with being the, the possessor of the dark saber, you know, have some other, uh, end to, to his trip to Mandalore and in terms of trying to, um, you know, figure out where he fits in, in the grander scheme of things. Exactly. Yeah. Lots of possibilities. Lots. Oh, such a great episode though. Such a great, great episode. Agreed. Agreed. All right. And then lastly, uh, you know, figured we would go dip into an Ahsoka update because we haven't talked about Ahsoka in a while. Yes. Uh, There's, there's been a few uh, casting uh, announcements made. I just want to point out ironically that uh, the Peacock BSG series was announced before Ahsoka uh, was to be. Uh, And the smart money is that uh, Ahsoka will air before there is any sort of news about the Peacock BSG series. So I just want to just call that out for a moment. I'd say that's a given. Yes. Uh, Very easy money. If you want to place a bet on that one. It's incredible. It's incredible. But anyways, uh, in this article from Nerdist.com, they just kind of go through uh, just latest update on what's going on from a cast perspective. You know, of course, Rosario Dawson will be the title character. Uh, Joining her um, will be Hayden Christensen has been announced for the series as well, most likely reprising his role as Anakin slash Darth Vader. We don't know how specifically. I think we've talked about Mm -hmm. this in the past about it, it being maybe a flashback sort of thing or uh, or, or maybe there is something from the Rebels time frame that they pull in, um, you know, again, as a flashback, we shall see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what else? And then uh, we have the Mandalorian warrior Sabine Wren from Rebels, who is uh, yes. be, uh, played by Natasha Liu Bordizio, who uh, was from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny. Huh. So we will have Sabine in there as well. Nice. I'm still rooting for uh, for Anakin Skywalker Force Ghost. <laughs> oh, that's no, right. You, you wanted to be like kind of riding shotgun with her, right? Yes, I want I want Anakin to almost I want it to be like tied to her in a, mm. in a, in a way, almost like it's an uncomfortable relationship. Like he is almost not necessarily, I don't want to say haunting, but is basically sure. playing her conscience because she has stepped away from the Jedi and mm-hmm. you know there's there's all this baggage that comes with that you know Ahsoka has in terms of her relationship with the Jedi and where all that is anyways and I think that would be really interesting to see like Anakin Skywalker Force Ghost no, having gone through all that thing because I mean in this mm-hmm. timeline Anakin dead like he dead he yep. dead he yep. gone and I w- it would be great to see him with his knowledge kind of over Ahsoka's shoulder. Like you, you have to do that, you know, almost like having that, re- that relationship continue, but in a way that is, is just a little bit different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. I, I think that would be fascinating and I, it probably won't happen uh, because, you know, so far everybody's had better ideas than I do. So as good as I think this idea is their, their idea is probably going to be better, but man, I I'm, I'm excited to see how it plays out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a few other actors and actresses have been announced. Uh, there's Ooh, a Ukrainian actor, uh, Ukrainian actor, Ivana Sakano has also joined the cast, but in an unknown role. So the, the role has not been announced. Mm. Uh, word is she'll portray an entirely new character. Uh, and then there are rumors circulating. We've talked about this before. Ezra Bridger, uh, also from Rebels, Grand Admiral Thrawn, who I believe is going to be played by Lars Milk Milkinson. Mil- 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 I can't say his name. Oh my god! Yeah, it's the same dude who voiced him in Rebels uh, and yes. Clone Wars, right? Yes, and another character, Hera Syndulla, have have already yes. been cast. 
So oh. I got to get caught up on Rebels. I haven't watched Rebels. I'm I'm right now in the middle it's of It's really PSG good. Rewatch. So I I got to make some time for that. Yeah, like Jimmy Dice said, like after the first couple seasons, they they go from like the ultra kid friendly to okay, now it's getting a little more serious sort mm. of thing. And yep. it it gets really good. And nice. I say that as someone who hasn't finished all of Clone Wars. So I mean, eh, yeah. I you know I've I've seen enough. I wasn't as into Clone Wars as I was into Rebels. I think mostly because the my daughter was very into Rebels, and so it's yeah. like okay, easy to watch. Yeah, and and most recently, what kind of spurred this article was uh, from Birds of Prey uh, star Mary Elizabeth Winstead has also joined the cast, but who she is playing is firmly under wraps, leaving right. room for speculation. So. So a lot of interesting characters and actors and actresses being kind of uh, lined up for this this series. And my goodness, if Book of Boba Fett is any sign of how the storytelling and and how this is going to work moving forward, it's I'm 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 very excited and looking forward to this or for this. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, so we close another week in geek. All right. Our guest this week uh, to help us talk about this movie combo platter is once again, Mel Barrett, novelist, screenwriter and director who spent more time obsessing over celluloid than either of us have spent (laughs) thinking of pretty much anything in our lives. Mm -hmm. She also lends a heaping helping of credibility to this little podunk little podcast when we talk about movies. Welcome to the show, Mel. Hi, hi, hi. I'm happy to be here again. Well, we'll see what we can do about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm scared about 20 minutes. Take your best shot. Uncle you Todd and I have a running bet. We're... <laughs> what, what's the over under on when we can uh, change? Yeah. No. I, have, I, I, I annoy her to such a degree. <laughs> well, please, I worked in Hollywood. You guys can't even talk. To me. <laughs> oh, that's that is true. Very true. Oh, All right, goodness. so we are going to be talking about Rocky One and Rocky Two. Which I mean, oh my gosh, it's there's going to be so we're going to have to cut this episode down from about four hours down to whatever <laughs> we decide to air. Uh, just prepping for that now. Uh, but a phenomenal pair of movies. And uh, so let's dive into this. Uh, starting with Mel, what do you think makes this a great movie combo? What are what are the strengths of these two movies working together? Well, for me, you know, I I, I, am, I was trying to compare. I was trying to look at other films that might have done this. And the only one I could think of, which uh, is not the greatest example, but uh, the Deathly Hallows, they did this in the Deathly Hallows. They started the second film with the last few minutes of the first film. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I love about Rocky 1 and 2 that that I think separates it definitely from 3 through 5. Are there only 5? Yeah, there's 5. Um, is it, to me, it's it's one movie. It's just mm-hmm. that, you know, I mean, we're still with Rocky's arc from the second of the first movie to the end of the of the second movie. And the the end of the first movie... Uh, is such a it's it's a good arc stop for him but the thing is the second movie where they pick right back up with the action in the ring and him calling adrian and all that stuff and mm-hmm. then directly going to the hospital and having the press conference and they're still trying to fight in the second one and you know that's just leading into the the next fight basically so for me the, the strength of the film is that it's one movie as far as i see it and it just had a really good stopping point in the middle which is the same way i sort of feel about deathly hallows and obviously they cut that that movie into two because the book was huge but Mm. you start the second film with um Dumbledore's casket you know being broken open by Voldemort so it's it's a it's just a continuation of the book it's a continuation of the film and I felt like 
Sylvester Stallone wrote this film to have an ending point and had no idea that it was going to be as successful as it was. And then he went on to write Rocky II. And it's it's almost like he just kept writing the first film. And that's what I think is so strong about it. And I honestly can't think of another... I mean, like like we said, I'm a bad film student and I haven't seen The Godfather 2. So I don't know if that's what happens. I know, I know. I can't even believe we will admitting that. <laughs> I have already uh, made arrangements to see two and we'll discuss that later. <laughs> but like, if you think about a film like Terminator one and two, or if you think about girl with a dragon tattoo and, you know, and that trilogy, I don't remember, I don't know of a film where you, for the first, you know, I think it's three or four minutes of the second film you go, they just basically cut and pasted the end of the first film into the beginning of the second film and we just keep moving with it. And I think that's yeah. I think that's my that's my favorite part about the two movies. It doesn't happen in Rocky Three, it doesn't happen in Rocky Four or Five. But for the first two films, we are just still on this journey of Rocky's arc all the way through. It's seamless to me. So mm. that's what I would say. I, that's my that's the strength I see in it. And then also just Rocky's arc is just is just amazing to me over the two films. So yeah. that's what I would say. I would actually so I'm I'm a little bit of the opposite on this. Okay. Because I I definitely think they the two movies link up and they work really well together, but to me I see them definitely as two different movies because they're almost mirror images to me mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the arc in them because so like the first 35 minutes of Rocky, you are just bashed over the head with what a absolute loser this guy is. Yeah. I mean, he is the loser of all losers. The only people who hang out with him are arguably people that you can say are almost as big of a loser as he is mm-hmm. in terms of like for purposes of the story. Yeah. And then he finds redemption. He becomes a winner, at least in terms of for him, because his goal isn't even to win. His goal is I just want to go the distance. I know that I can't. I mean, we we get, again, bashed over the head. He's such a loser that he gets offered the championship fight and his immediate response is no. Like he doesn't yeah. want to take the fight because he knows he can't do it. So he just wants to go the distance. Well, then the first 30 minutes of Rocky two is, wow, look at what a winner Rocky is. Like he, he, he manages to, to go the distance with Apollo. He gets all these offers for money. He marries Adrian. He has all this cash. All these good things are happening. And then he gets to be a loser again because, oh, now he's carrying spit buckets. And mm-hmm. now he's, you know, in just in under an hour, he, he is. He's emptying spit buckets. And he's getting made fun of by the other boxers and all this stuff. It's like the opposite direction. And then he pulls out again, which to me, like to me, the, the ultimate Rocky arc is Rocky one through three. Hmm. because then you see Rocky come back out of it and then he loses Mickey and he finds himself again. And then you also have kind of, to me, what is the completion of the, the Apollo Creed arc, mm-hmm. which is very strong in, in both of these movies as well, which I, th- I think is remarkable that they managed to actually have this change in Apollo and that Ap- Apollo can be so strong when, I mean, you spend 90% of the movie with Rocky, right? you know? So I just, I kind of look at it in that way where it's, it's, yeah, it, it it's it works well together, but I definitely see them as distinct films, if that makes sense. It does. Can I just add a few things to that? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I don't. If Tim, I don't mean to step on your. No, no, it's your, okay. Uh, Go for it. So I I agree with what you're saying, but I still see that as his main. I see that as his arc because, mm. you know, I was I was watching it again, and I was thinking I was thinking exactly what you're saying, which is we he starts off as this just like roughneck loser. I don't I guess for me I love the films and I love the character so much. I don't ever really see him as a loser. I just see him as somebody 
who hasn't totally found himself yet and he doesn't know any anything anything else like mm-hmm. i think this is his life it, he says a line in in rocky 2 when he's talking about his kid um who hasn't been born yet and he says something along the lines of you know he's not going to be hanging out in the street corners you know he's going to have a good life so rocky to me was born into that life and i don't even i'm not sure he ever necessarily saw himself as a loser he just saw himself as trying to get forward just keep moving forward which is Mm. sort of the storyline of rocky one is he wants to go the distance he's just trying to get forward he's trying to make a better life for himself when and then when we get into rocky two and we see him getting you know the three hundred thousand dollars for advertising and the money deals and all this like that and he immediately is going out and he's buying the car and he buys adrian the jacket and he gets everybody the watches and then he's like you know the house scene is probably one of my favorite scenes in any film Mm -hmm. um where he's making the decision about buying the house and he's like i'll take it just make sure it doesn't leak you know yeah he all he wants to do (laughs) that's what he said he's like i'll take it i wait Uh, good old rocky and and he looks at the guy There's There's no no furniture furniture after that. But he just is like, he looks at the guy and he said, and the only thing that Rocky knows in life is how to, you know, he says, I'll take it, make sure it doesn't leak. And the guy's like, I'll make sure it doesn't leak because I don't want to get my ass kicked, you know? But, um, (laughs) but, but to me, when he's, you know, when he's throwing out, he's throwing all this money around, um, he doesn't know any better. He still only knows the way he was born, the way he lived and how to make the people he loves happy. And so he's throwing all this money around. He's not thinking about the consequences of the money running out or that Adrian's going to be pregnant and they're going to have to survive. He's thinking I'm on top of the world. I've done all these things. You know, I feel he's in like the moment. he's in the moment. And I don't think he, I know he struggles when he's, when he loses, you know, when he doesn't have any money left, I know he's struggling like in the storyline but as a human being i don't think he ever thinks that it's gonna go wrong i don't think he ever thinks it's gonna be bad i think he only thinks i have to keep moving through and so when he starts thinking about taking on the fight with apollo he's making a huge decision there in saying basically saying no to adrian it's the first time that they are on the opposite sides of things Mm. because she doesn't want him to fight he knows that the only way through is to keep you know doing what he knows which is being that he's he's being a loser he's being the kid who gets in the ring and beats people up he's being the the loan shark you know what i mean he's doing all these things and he's that's the only thing he knows how to do and it's the only you no know, only way he knows how to push forward and to go the distance so he makes that decision for himself and he goes even against the person he loves most in the world who's pregnant with his child and she has that realization when she wakes up after the baby's born and says, I only want you to do one thing and that's win. And that's all he needs is one other person to believe in the same kind of forward momentum that he believes in. So mm-hmm. by the time we get to the end of that fight and they have that moment where they both are punching each other at the same time, they're punching each other at the same time and they basically knock each other out at the same time. But Rocky gets up to me, that's the end of his arc right there. Um, mm-hmm. And by the time we move into the third film, that's when his that's when his arc changes because now he realizes i've been this way my whole life i've gotten through twice now now i can actually start building on top of that and that's that's just the way i see it but i feel like Mm -hmm. he has this he and he has minor arcs that go over one and two but the major arc is for rocky to prove to himself that he can be a winner and that he can keep getting through and going the distance until he is the best that's that's yeah. where I stand. Anyway, sorry, Tim. Go ahead. No, no, no. no. What do you think? No, Tim? I, I I agree with uh, all that has been put forth. I think for me, 
Um, I, I'll, I'll touch on some things that haven't been mentioned yet, but, um, you know, for, for me, I, I've, I've always enjoyed the, the thread of Rocky and Mickey through these two, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. where, you know, Mickey is just very dismissive and, and, and it's almost like in, in a lot of ways, everyone around Rocky can see the potential and promise in him, but Rocky, mm-hmm. yep. yeah. you know, like, like even the loan shark he works for is just like, <laughs> why aren't you taking advantage of this? You know, he's like, like oh, this, yeah. this doesn't happen once in a while, uh, you know, every, every day here, you're getting offered this amazing opportunity. And Rocky's like, ah, I don't know. Um, and, and Mickey's just so interesting because he, he is, he's very dismissive of him in the beginning of one. And then he gets to that point where he comes in. And almost, you know, just almost like just kissing his butt about, you know, kind of, you know, training him in that sort of thing. And, and, oh, yeah. Like, and, little, like we said, literally hat in hand. Like, yeah. And, and, yeah. and Rocky just like lays, I mean, he just like lets go of all of this pent up, you know, emotion he's been kind of maybe not even realizing holding on to. And, and what I absolutely love is what Mickey does during that whole scene where he just go, leaves, leaves the apartment, you know, because Rocky's just locked himself in the bathroom like a 12 year old. <laughs> and, uh, you know, walks down the stairs, he's leaving. And, and it's such a cool scene where, where it just holds on that, on that exterior shot of Mickey just walking away and, you know, Rocky mm. kind of running out and, you know, just talking like, you know, I have no idea what they say to each other, but it's just at that point, you know, they're in it together and moving forward and, and just needing that, that sort of, you know, time to, to air, air the grievances, so to speak, and, and, yeah. and move forward. Um, I thought it was really cool. And then, you know, in the same way in two, um, I, I love the, the, the Mickey speech to Rocky when they're in the chapel of, of the, of the hospital oh, and, yeah. and just how he just lays out like, you know, as any, you know, father figure would for their son, just like, you know, this is what you're capable of and, and you've done these amazing things and you're going to do this again. And, you know, just being this encouraging, you know, voice for him and, uh, you know, my favorite line in that whole scene is when, when he looks around, he's like, I hate to swear in a holy place like this. <laughs> but I, yeah. I think he said in, in a biblical place. I don't want to. Biblical biblical sorry to... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I love but it, Mickey. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I've, I've, you know, I think the thing with, with these two is, is just the characters are so strong. And then the stories that bind them together are so strong. I mean, I, I love the fact that Creed, even though he can be villainous in nature at times, is really a very deep character, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we're seeing, you know, we're, we're basically seeing the tragedy of Apollo Creed play out. You know, he, he's just trying to give some guy an opportunity as a means of, you know, he, he's this very intelligent, very, you know, prolific fighter and knows how to promote himself and, and make money. And this is just a, another stop along the way. And it ends up being the thing that really ends, not ends his career physically, but, you know, based on Rocky three, Creed pr- pretty much retires after all of this. So yeah. this is kind of the end for him. Um, and so it, it was interesting to see, you know, his, his attitude as a character play out through one. Um, you know, I loved in, in the first fight, you know, Rocky just, just knocking him down right away and, and just how mm-hmm. they, how mm-hmm. they played all that up. Like, you know, no one's not Creed down. And, and it's just, it's becoming this thing like, Oh, Rocky's going to do something here. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's 15 rounds of just, you know, war going on. And then in, in the second one, seeing how obsessed he is with, you know, he's got to prove that he is still the man, you know, and, and, and that he is the champ. And this was, this was a complete fluke that, that, you know, that, that this even happened. And so the lengths that he goes to, um, you know, to, to get Rocky back and, and, and then just how he comes in and you can see throughout the, that fight, he's just going after him constantly. 
and Rocky just keeps coming back. And so I, I think, you know, their, their back and forth is, is really cool. And, and, and he's, he's a, he's a, he's an antagonist with depth. You know, he, he's, he has his own struggles he's going through in the same way that Rocky's going through struggles. Well, and, he's got, I mean, the pair, the, the layers to Apollo, just the fact that he's a black man in the seventies yeah. and he's that intelligent and that rich and yep. somebody knocks him down, you know? And the, I think, I think some of the racial, not that they, the racial undertones in the film are very interesting because it's an Italian person and a black person and I remember at the beginning of the second fight in Rocky two, mm-hmm. where the announcer says something like Apollo's oh, yeah. got his work cut out for him because I've never seen so many Italians all in one place, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it's like you have these two men who have been thought of as less in society, especially in the seventies, yeah. um, really just fighting it out for power and a place in the world. And so Apollo's struggle his, and I, I love his wife. You know, I love the yeah. character of his wife. I also love Talia Shire playing Adrian. I, her arc is is astounding to me. Um, but that layer to Apollo that he also is, he's not just fighting to be the best fighter in the world or the richest fighter in the world. He's also mm-hmm. struggling to be the smartest, richest, most powerful black fighter in the world. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it against this kid that everybody loves because he's some like poor Italian kid from the streets. So yeah. he it's like, they have such parallel arcs, but they just come from different places. And it's, it's so beautiful to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And the thing that sells that, that, that thing is that the one announcer says, I've never seen so many Italians in one place. And the other one's like, you said that I didn't. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, like they know what they're saying is wrong. Well, yeah. And that they're talking about two minorities yeah. in the ring, you know, and it's just, well, yeah, know, because the automatic implication is mafia, you know, yep. something, you know, along those lines. Yeah. yeah. And then, then you have the scene with, you know, in the, in the bar, in the beginning of Rocky one where, I mean, of course, right after Rocky picks up the drunk off of the sidewalk and then sits him down next to the mm-hmm. other drunk who's arguing yep. with himself, which I'm, <laughs> I just love that. I absolutely love that little bit of business because again, it's just more and more like, man, yeah, sure. He probably goes out and beats people up on the docks cause they owe money, but look at him. He's still somehow yeah. a kind hearted human being with yeah. that job. Oh, Rocky, I mean, he's definitely heart of gold. I mean, yeah. the animals, the butt kiss and the turtles. I have yeah. two trivia pieces for you guys. Uh, you may already know, but two trivia pieces about that at the end. Unless yeah. you want me to tell you now. <laughs> I, I mean, you can if you want, but I, I might actually know these because, as you know, I, I love me some trivia. I know but... you love trivia. But so the turtles, which is amazing to me, the turtles that are in the film, he, Rocky still has. I mean, Sylvester Stallone still has those turtles. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're wow. like forty something years old, <laughs> oh and he gosh. loves them. He like talks to them the same way he did in the movies. Mm-hmm. So like he'll post videos of him talking to the turtles, and then <laughs> wait a minute, I might have to follow Sylvester Stallone on Instagram. Just it's for so that. funny to me. He's like he takes pictures like holding the turtles up next to his giant face, and it, I know, it's just so funny to me. That's one piece of trivia, but the other one is like go and research all of the background actors that are on the streets of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the, I think his brother is one of the singers that stands around the, the yes. fire. Oh pit. yeah. Yeah. He's like and the then, lead singer, I think. Yeah. He's, uh, and he's in both films and they have the same scene just about in both films. I think the girl that he sort of counsels the one he, I mean, let's be honest, this movie, the first film is so misogynist, but mm. 
you know, and it's hard for me to watch that because it's it's literally it's probably my favorite film of all time. And just because the script is amazing. I love the whole story behind it. I love boxing movies, but it's there's just so much misogyny in it. The way he talks about Adrian before he gets together with her, like going to Polly and asking if he can have permission and, you know, like what's you know, what's wrong with my face and stuff like that. Why is your sister like me? And then the idea that, you know, po- the way Polly treats Adrian is just disgusting. Oh, yeah. Um, and then the way he's talking to that little girl who's standing around the fire and he's asking, you know, he's like, do you want to be a whore? And, you know, and the way that he's talking about it, like, go and get yourself a boyfriend so people don't think you're a whore. And it's just mm. like, Ugh. but it's still Rocky with a heart of gold. He's trying to take care of this little girl, yeah. but he just doesn't know. He just doesn't have the right language for it, you know? So yeah. that scene to me when he's walking, he takes the girl away from the fire and he's walking her home. And she's like giving him lip and everything. And he's telling her the way she talks is going to make people think something of her. Even though he's coming from this like 1970s male perspective about women, he's doing it to protect her and to make sure she's okay. And that's sort of his baseline. That's his MO. That's why he blows all that money in the second part. It's not because he wants people to think he's big and powerful. It's because he wants everyone around him to be happy. That's Mm -hmm. why he goes and he adopts Budkiss finally. Because it's like, I can rescue this dog finally, you know? Anyway, I just went yeah. off on a tangent. But the trivia around these two films is is amazing. That's oh, cool. yeah. yeah. Well, that, I mean, I love the fact that, um, oh, shoot, where was I going to go with this? Uh, I have no idea. You. Here, I'll throw <laughs> one thing in while while you're, yeah. you're recollecting. Um, when you were talking, uh, Mel, earlier about, like, um, you know, with N2, where, where Rocky you know, he's kind of downtrodden with his training because he and Adrian mm-hmm. are at odds and that sort of thing. I, I've always found that interesting that, that, you know, and it just underscores that heart of gold aspect to him that, you know, he, he, he doesn't feel like he doesn't feel right about going forward with this without her blessing with her consent, you know, like it's right. the two of us are in this together sort of thing. And, and mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Like, I, I really feel like both for him and for, for Apollo, there are these humanizing moments for the two of them where, mm you know, it's not just these are, you know, stud athletes and, and they just, you know, walk around and do whatever the heck they want. And if you don't mm-hmm. like it, you know, go pound sand sort of thing. Like yeah. they actually care about what their loved ones think. And I mean, you know, Apollo, I think hurt his wife and hurt his trainer, but he, but he was just so obsessed with, I have to be the best, you know what I mean? Like I have to prove that this was not, this was not real, you know? And um, and, and for, for Rocky, I just, I always like that in two about how he's, you know, everyone's trying to protect him. And, and I actually started when I first saw Rocky, I saw him in Rocky three. So mm-hmm. I had no idea about this whole story where because of the beating he took in one, there was a lot of concern around his eye and, yep. and you know, well, the cut is a going huge storyline. Yeah, exactly. And so, you, you know, there's a reason behind it. And, and, you know, again, I, I think it just gives these, these characters so much depth that it's, it isn't just like what we, you know, see in a lot of movies today where it's like you get your butt kicked and you just get back up and fight like nothing happened. You know, right. it's it's like mm-hmm. there's there's a cost to all of this. And mm-hmm. and that's where everyone's operating from. And and the fact that, you know, he, you know, stood by her side when she was in the hospital and yeah. he just really didn't train was was just, you know, kind of a testament to establishing the depth of their relationship in terms of, um, you know, what she means to him in, ter- in, in terms of his strength and moving forward. Yeah, I think both of their wives definitely humanize them. And and I think that um, 
the one of the themes sort of throughout which they probably didn't even realize was happening back in the 70s but it's probably it's i can see it so much more now mm. is this idea of what makes one a man you know rocky mm. has that line in in part two when all the money's gone and and adrian's talking about going to work at the pet shop and he says something along the lines of don't take my manhood away from me mm. and for me well, yeah. Yeah, you know with, was... with apollo yeah it's the same thing when apollo is like his wife doesn't want him to do it. You know, Adrian doesn't want Rocky to do it, but they, they have this sense of what makes them a man. And mm. that's the only thing that overrides what their wife is asking them to do. And mm. so I think that's, I don't think it was um, that big of a theme when the movies were made, but if you look at it now and what yeah. we think of what makes someone a man or what makes somebody a woman, but, but mainly like, am I paying the bills? Am I standing up for myself? Am I not getting laughed at when I'm walking down the street? Am I not mm. cleaning up, you know, spit buckets? Yeah. What makes him a man? And they, that's the only thing that overrides what their wives and what their loved ones are asking them to do is their, you know, this intense idea that they have to prove themselves as human males. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that's yeah. a really interesting storyline too, that they probably didn't even think that much about when they were writing it or, or filming it. Yeah. yeah. I definitely think there's an angle there, but it, to me, it came off because if I'm if I'm remembering right, that comes when directly after uh, Adrian basically says, I don't want you to fight Apollo. Right. Like it was it was not so much about the, the her going back to work. It was it was about the fight. And it was like, yeah. I never asked you to stop being a woman. Don't ask me to stop being a man. Right. Which yeah. definitely there's an angle to that. I think you're totally right in that. I think it's also you, you can also read it in a wider sense of like the way that sometimes you can get into a relationship or a friendship or something, and then you're asking somebody to change fundamentally something about mm -hmm. themselves. And, and w at what point are you, you trying to help someone or are you also trying to change that person? You know what I mean? Exactly. Well, and, and for Adrian, she's obviously thinking about his health. They're about yeah. to have a baby and she doesn't want her husband to die in the ring, which is exactly what happens to Apollo, which is what Apollo's wife was worried about. I think in what, three or four, three, that's four, three. Uh, four. For. And then that's when he goes to fight the Russian, which is also my other favorite one. But yeah, so I think that, you know, these women, they're not asking, they're not specifically asking their husbands to change other than to say, I, I just don't want you to die. Oh, and yeah. for the, yeah, for yeah. the men, it's like, you're asking me to not be a man. And that's mm. the difference. I don't want you to die. You're asking mm. me not to be a man. So it's like, I, I just think that, I mean, we could spend hours just talking about that one theme, <laughs> oh, yeah. I think, because, I mean, how yeah. many films from the 70s up till now are we dealing with that theme where someone is risking their life because they can't they can't afford to not be considered a man in society? You know? Yeah. Well, it also yeah. brings up the question of how much of that plays into the is because of the choice of career that both of these guys have made. Where mm -hmm. I think in, in Rocky too, they, when someone asked him, well, why don't you just fight? I hear you're a pretty good fighter. He's like, have you ever gotten punched 500 times in the face in one night? <laughs> <Yeah>. It hurts. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, if Rocky just didn't have himself a salient point right there. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> like Rocky and, has know, these moments of utter clarity that border on like Zen-like, you know, it, philosophy wisdom where you're like, damn, he's got a good point right there. <laughs> My other favorite line that he has, and he repeats it, I think, four or five times throughout uh, part two is he just keeps going. He seems really upset Yeah, <laughs> about, yes. about Apollo. And he says it right before they fight. He's like, he still seems really upset. And it's like, Apollo has got something to prove, but Rocky's like, mm -hmm. he just seems mad, man. I'm kind of scared, yeah. you know? So, but it's that thing where Apollo has got something to prove 
And Rocky's like, whew, this guy's not happy. I don't know how I'm going to do this. But it's, yeah. it, he's, I think he says it like four times. He just seems really upset. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of funny because boxing for Rocky isn't necessarily like it, – it doesn't turn real violent until – like in that first scene of Rocky, Rocky one, which is mm-hmm. so great because it gives you so much of what you need to know about Rocky. Sure like thing, you yep. see this, this beat up gym and these two guys who are just grungy in this nasty place who are obviously just fighting for like probably a buck and a quarter each. And, Cigarettes. you know, he's, he isn't really, he's fighting, but it's not like he's being ultra violent until Spider Rico headbutts him. And then mm-hmm. he just freaking loses it. Yeah. Like, and like it is, it's like fighting is kind of fighting to him. Yeah. It's just a normal thing until he really, you really start getting into him and then, okay, now you're going to unleash the beast. That's well, and in that thing. moment, you realize that Rocky has this very distinct sense of right and wrong. Mm. Yeah. You know, it yeah. even comes out when he's the loan shark. He doesn't want to break the guy's fingers. He just is like, listen, you got to do this. You did something. You got to do this. It's the right thing to do. I'm not going to break your fingers. Just do the right thing. Yeah, you know, you and then when you should have planned ahead. <laughs> exactly. And when the guy's like, why didn't you break his fingers? He's like, because he needs his job. And if he doesn't have his job, he can't pay you. Yeah. You know, so it's like he in that moment when he gets headbutted and then he goes off. That's Rocky saying, I understand the difference between right and wrong. Mm. And so yep. that's why I can I, I have such a hard time thinking of him as a loser mm. just because I know that he's just doing what he can to get by. But mm. he knows distinctly the difference between right and wrong. Well, yeah, I just meant in terms of like what what the perception would be, because you're just yeah, trying to course. cast that that thing. And and I, I totally get it. Like the, for all of the things that are loserish about Rocky, Rocky is is a a fairly grounded, moral human being. I mean, mm-hmm. even even working mm-hmm. as the muscle for a loan shark, he yep. still manages to be like a fairly decent guy. Sure. Yeah. It's He's crazy. out there playing stickball with the kids on his knees, yep. you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> but but just jumping back to something you were saying, Mel, just a little bit ago, that like I, it, it's interesting too when you think about, um, you know, when you were saying he he kept saying you know he's upset, um, how going into two, you know, Rocky's really kind of accomplished what he wanted to, you know, yep. I mean he 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 went the distance with Creed. It wasn't about necessarily beating him. Winning, it was just about right. proving to himself that he could hang with the best and 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 be the first to, to take him that far. And so it's kind of interesting, like, like you were saying that, you know, he, he's, he's focused on trying to build a life now yep. and he's really not that interested in the fight Mm-mm. until yep. he gets to that point where, you know, through running through the money, through realizing that he's, he's illiterate and needs to, and, and you know, he starts kind of learning how to read um, mm-hmm. and, and all of that, that it, it just becomes like, this is the thing I have to do to, to, to earn and, and to survive. And, and, mm. and that's, what's really kind of behind him when he goes into that second fight, I think was yeah, kind of a, sure. a, a, an interesting way to kind of, you know, you know, again, it just, it goes to the depth of the characters. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's, it's so interesting to see when you provide that depth, like where you can take the characters and, and some, and the amazing stories you can tell with them. Yeah. And I think that Sylvester Stallone, I mean, he wrote, it's, it's an amazing script, but he also knew what he wanted. He knew that character so well, you know, I mean, mm. there are so many stories about like he and um, I can't think of what Apollo's real name is, but Carl he Weathers. and the yeah, Carl Weathers, Carl Weathers, he and Carl Weathers didn't really even like each other. I mean, there were so many fight scenes where they were they were fighting on set. And then oh. in the in the scenes where it's choreographed, like heavily choreographed 
fighting scenes, they were they were hitting each other. They weren't mm. supposed to be, but they were landing punches because they were so mad at each other. You know, mm. and you and you brought up Tim, I think earlier the scene with Mickey from the first one when they're in the hallway and Mickey's trying to like say, yeah, I want to train you. And Rock is, you know, he's sort of letting Mickey have it for real this time. Mm. That whole thing is improvised. Um, and Rocky was just really upset because the bathroom really did stink on location. <laughs> <laughs> you know so he was well, really upset about that and so i think that sylvester stallone just understood this character so well mm. and i don't i can't i can't imagine anybody else maybe de niro but i don't think so i think i think he was the only person to play this part and i'm glad that i'm glad he held out long enough to get somebody to say yes to him playing this part i mean mm. when, when he was when they were auditioning carl weathers Carl was sparring with him like they were fake sparring and I think he accidentally punched him or something and Rocky was like you can't punch me we're just sparring here or Sylvester Stallone was like you can't punch me we're just spar we're just you know this is just a casting and he's like well maybe we should get a real actor in here who's actually going to play Rocky and then you know they'll know they'll know what to do and then the casting director was like oh no Carl he's this is Sylvester Stallone he's actually playing Rocky and then Carl Weathers looked at him and he said well Maybe it'll get better. <laughs> you know, so it's like it's like they had these dynamics, you know, oh, wow. offset. Yeah. And I just wow. think that these two guys were these characters. You know what yeah. I mean? So you yeah. got Carl Weathers coming in, who's a well-established, well-known actor. He's already made a ton of money. He's doing very well for himself. And then you got Sylvester Stallone, who's just got like a meatball face. And, you know, he's coming in here and he's not the greatest actor, but he knows his character and he's a good writer and he's right. he, he's done the research. So they were playing themselves, basically. So, yeah. So yeah. You, you, you couldn't have seen James Caan playing uh, <laughs> playing Rocky like they originally wanted. No, maybe like James Caan when he's about 80 playing Mickey. Sure. But no. <laughs> Sonny, you, don't, you, don't, you don't want to see Sonny Corleone as no, as, uh, no, as Rocky. No, no, no. no. I was I was thinking of Raging Bull. That's the only thing I was thinking of. But I don't I can't imagine anybody else playing that part yeah, yeah it would be yeah. difficult it was he, yeah so here's the here's the big question mm -hmm. what are the weaknesses of these movies as mm. as a kind of combo platter is these two movies that go together anyone anyone bueller i have such a hard time with this question because for me I, they are almost perfect i mean the dialogue is um, is amazing even the parts where Stallone is sort of riffing a little bit and he's adding his like weird language and the mumbling and just the way he like delivers everything. It's perfect. You know, mm -hmm. um, I, <laughs> okay. I'll just say this one thing. And this is, uh, this is just me being a little bit, um, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to qualify it in the first one. I was like, Oh, the costuming is really interesting. In the second one, I was like, the costuming is amazing. <laughs> like when he starts, I was like, when he gets the jacket with the tiger on the back, I'm like, yes. And the hat and the tiger jacket and the skinny jeans. And then Adrian's like, I, the costuming in the second one, mm. I just think is amazing. But the first one I was like, Oh, it's just, everything's so dirty. <laughs> oh well, yeah. Uh, you know everything's so dirty, but that's so perfect for the film. I don't know. I don't have weaknesses for these films. I would really, really have to rack my brain, and you know, other than I will, the, the only weakness I see, and that's that's based in a time frame thing, is the misogyny drives me nuts. I hate mm. I I hate Polly. I hate his character so much <laughs> yeah. because I'm just like, if anybody talked to one of my family members, the way he talks to his own sister, I would be Rocky on his butt, you know? So it's like, I can't imagine. I just can't imagine people like that existing, but I know that they did during the time, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, that's still something that's perfect, even though I can't stand him. 
you know, the misogyny really, the misogyny gets to me. The racism gets to me a little bit, but these are all modern issues, not issues with the original film. Mm. So that's, that's what I would say about it. What about you, Tim? You got anything, any weaknesses? Not really. I mean, the one thing I mentioned was like, I, I, I agree with what, what Mel, you know, was just saying, but I, I, and actually I'm going to put this out there just cause I'm curious to get your and Mel's opinion on this. There were times when I thought the pacing of the movie, maybe one, was a little slow. But at the same time, I feel like that's also kind of an endearing quality from Mm -hmm. that time period of filmmaking. Like, there's just Mm -hmm. these shots of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Like, they Mm -hmm. just kind of hang on the city or hang on a particular thing. And there's nothing really going on. And you're just, like, like a couple of years ago, I watched this the the, the movies with my younger son. And and I was wondering how he was going to respond to it because I'm like, this sort of pacing doesn't exist today in movies. Yep. It's just everything is no. like bam, 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 and you just yep. you, you know you move at this like breakneck pace. And and there, there's definitely when you sit down to watch it, there there is a breathing space to to you know in between scenes and things that are going on, and you just kind of get these shots. And um, you know, I I like them. I I don't really believe they're a weakness, but I was kind of just calling it out as you know, maybe watching it in this time period, something that was from, you know, the mid seventies, it, it, it may be challenging sometimes because we're just yeah. so used to the, you know, utter, you know, I don't know what to call it. The, the overwhelming flow of information that happens when we watch films mm-hmm. now, you know, um, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Cur- curious what your thoughts are. Do you want to go first? Um, I think it's interesting. I do enjoy how they, they made Philadelphia a character in the movie. Yeah. I was going to say know? the same thing. And it's it, the, the the closest I can remember, the, or I should say the the most recent uh, example I can come up with would be Goodwill Hunting, where Boston is mm-hmm. like a legit like mm. third main third or fourth main character in that. Or movie. any Scorsese film. True. That was okay. Good. Good one there. Yeah. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Where and uh, oh yeah, and just wa- I watched Gangs of New York. I was just day. about to say Gangs oh, of New York. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Yeah, that that is just unreal. Like you yep. believe, like how did he go? They they had a time machine because that's the only way you could have gotten yeah. this this to look this good. Well, think about uh, Taxi Driver. I mean, know, the city I've of never New York. Seen it. Oh, what? Okay, I you know. have to watch Taxi Driver. <laughs> I, I have to watch Godfather <laughs> too. Oh my god, we have to do a whole podcast on Taxi Driver. It's brilliant. Shame, shame, shame on me. Well, Taxi Driver <laughs> New York is because he's in the cab the whole time for the most part. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of voiceover and he's talking about what he sees in front of him. And so you are seeing what he sees, which is, you know, the dirty, scary streets of New York in the 70s. And it's beautiful. But but New York is a, a main character, I think, in that film. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Same way yep. as in Rocky. Yeah. I would. Are you finished on or? No, I, 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 that's all I had. Yeah, go right ahead. Um, you know, it's interesting that you said that, Tim, because I one of the things that I made a mental note of when I was watching it. Um, first of all, I like a little bit of a slower pace. I like the older films for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that they I like that we understand all the layers of these characters. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they slowed it down a little bit because they gave us a little bit more. You can't really even get away with that anymore. Like if I wrote a script like this and it's a hundred and probably 130 pages, which is far too long. I'd be told to cut all that stuff. You would cut these establishing shots, cut the, you know, but the movie made Philadelphia, you know, I mean, if you, the fact that they have a Rocky statue there, it's Mm. like, you know, that, that city became a part of this movie because of just those like few second establishing shots or, you know, the ice rink or, um, you know, the, I mean, I think I'm pretty sure, 
I mean, I'm probably just pulling this out of my head, but I'm assuming that Rocky uh, is responsible for these beautiful sports montages and montages Mm. in general. You know what I mean? It's so powerful. But the thing that really sticks out to me about the film is if this film were made, uh, if Rocky were made tomorrow here uh, or in Philadelphia, wherever, um, every second of the film would have a crushing soundtrack. It would have this mm. fast-paced modern. You would you would know the music. It would be popular music, and I think about one of my favorite title sequences in any film I've ever seen is The Departed, where you are in the film for the first fifteen minutes. You've both seen The Departed, I'm assuming. Yeah, I, okay. I have not. What? Okay. I know. I know. Hey. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a list for you, Todd. I'm gonna make a list. Okay, so you're you're in the movie for I'm just guessing about 15 minutes where you are just seeing you're meeting all these characters, you're seeing everything that's happening, and then a major point happens with one of the main characters. And I'll just I'm gonna give you a little spoiler, but you're not gonna know who it is. This person's in jail, right? And so they the title sequence comes into the film 15 minutes in and it's dropkick Murphy's and it's shipping off to Boston. And it's the most, I'm getting chills thinking about it right now. It's one of the most powerful title sequences I've ever seen because we are, um, we're panning across all the jail cells at the moment that a jail cell door opens on the beat of dropkick Murphy's. And by the time we get to our main character, he's doing like push-ups in his bunk and you are just hit with everything you need to know about this film, but you're 15 minutes into it. And here's the title sequence. I feel the same way about Rocky because it's like in the first, in the opening scene when he's fighting in the dirty gym with the beautiful lighting, I have to say, mm. um, they could have put some kind of crushing music on that. They could have put this, like, let me ramp you up. You're at the beginning of a movie. Let me ramp you up. But instead they gave us the fight and they gave us the sound of the fight and they could have done the same thing. You know, Rocky has that one theme song Mm -hmm. that plays throughout, which Mm -hmm. for me is beautiful because every time you hear that music, you know, what's about to happen. You know what you're going into, you know what you're about to feel. But modern films will put crushing music on everything. They'll just like hit you over the head with the score. But these films, not only are they a little bit slower and they give you time to see everything, they also give you time to feel and hear everything. Oops, sorry, I just mm. hit my mic. Um, because oh, they're not. <laughs> no, that was me. I just almost knocked my mic over into my Red Bull. <laughs> it's fine. Um, everything's fine. I'm sitting here with a lap desk that has like pink fur on it. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I'm in a closet. Um, so, so, but that to me, it's the music, it's the score that is so, they were just, it's sparse, you know? And mm. so they give you more imagery, but they take away this crushing sound that allows you to think for yourself. Yeah. And mm. I don't think, so I'm not this, we're still talking about weaknesses, but I, I love the idea of um, letting the camera rest for a little bit and just staying with somebody or staying with an object or staying with a skyline. To me, that's beautiful. Anyway. Yeah, agreed. Nice. Agreed. And I would agree. I I I I was really reaching for that um because it is something I like. It's it's something and and I do think I have to go back and watch it, but I thought when he did Rocky Balboa, which was I think mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He brought an element of that back. Like I remember mm-hmm. watching the movie like, "Oh, wow, he's this really feels like like it's not a retread of Rocky 1, but there's just Mm-mm. thematic moments in it where you're like, "Wow, this reminds me of the first one and yeah. you know, just some of the pacing and stuff, but it but it wasn't you know, probably not to the extent it happens in the first movie, but yeah. yeah. 
Rocky Balboa is really it's like a greatest hits of the Rocky movies. It's yeah. it's tough to yeah. say it's the sixth Rocky movie, even though it is. Yeah. But it feels like you know it's like that greatest hits album. Like I don't even know if they still do that. I don't even know if they release greatest hit albums anymore. But you remember yeah, back in like the nineties, they would have like here's the greatest hits and here's two new songs. Oh that, yeah. Yep. As Dave Grohl once said, it's a neither a hit nor great. Um, <laughs> which I was like, Dang, it's just dude. there. <laughs> yeah. It's there to make you want to buy there. something that you already own. Yeah. Um, but I, I, if I had to pick one and it, this kind of ties into a little bit of what Mel, Mel was just talking about, the, the fight scenes in one and two are inconsistent. And the, the funny thing is the fight scenes in Rocky two, the, the final fight in Rocky two mm. is kind of what became the standard template for the rest of the Rocky movies and even mm-hmm. getting into like Creed. Um, and actually in, in, in a way, Rocky two is the first modern fight movie yeah. to me because well, raging bull, I would say, but yeah, well, in terms of what we now see with the training sequences and things right. like that and, and kind of the montage, because even Rocky one had montages, but to me, Rocky two took it that next step mm-hmm. of making it just a little bit over the top, mm-hmm. you know? And then the fight scene was much much uh, a lot more camera angles, a lot more close ups, a lot oh, the more slow motion. The one where yeah. his face is like squished in the glove. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of, a lot more music. And they even went back. And because I, I watched one and two back to back yesterday mm-hmm. and when they redo, uh, they show you the fight scene, uh, the end of the fight of one at the beginning of two, they actually changed the score. Like there is, they've added some more of the modern, more mm-hmm. of the modern Rocky kind of feel that you're going to get for the rest of the movie into that opening montage that wasn't in one. Well, they have more it, money. <laughs> well, yeah, too. But I think it's, it's also the difference in the director, like John Avelson yeah. directing one, not a admitted himself, like he's not a boxing guy. Right. And, and then you have Sylvester Stallone directing two and yeah. kind of oh this is the direction we're gonna go and so that to me was kind of and i actually enjoyed the the fight scene in one more than in two because to me it felt grittier it felt like yes this is you know whereas two felt a little more polished now maybe that was just seeing it back to back i don't know but if i had to pick a weakness that's the one i would have i guess i think that's a really good point i one of the things that i loved about one is the um fanfare of apollo coming out on the fourth of july just yeah. like made in America. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the most amazing things. Yes. I can't even imagine how much that cost them for this little film, you mm-hmm. know, but in the second one, I think that the choreography with the fight scenes um, and the way that it was shot, I think you're right. I think that let, I think that led to sort of a modern day sports, you know, movies um, and the way that they're shot. If you think about, I think they, I think a little bit later on, give it like 20 years, they started incorporating, um, so the way that they shoot sports, the way they shoot boxing, the way they shoot MMA, the way they shoot soccer, baseball, football, they started incorporating those photographers into narrative films. So if you take mm. a film like or a television show like um, Friday Night Lights, which is one of my favorite shows, the way the reason I love that show is because it's shot in a documentary style. Mm. Um, and so is the film, you know, so they they st- I think they started changing things with Rocky. You know, Raging Bull was black and white. It was slow. Um, and I mean, slow-mo. So, the, so when they were doing things, when they were doing a lot of the fight sequences, you were seeing a lot of these slow punches because they couldn't afford to do these big, you know, choreographed fight sequences. But the difference between Rocky 1 and 2 with Rocky, with Sylvester Stallone directing the second one and having a much bigger budget, 
they were able to choreograph a little bit better. They were able to slow down because, I mean, that's still shot on film. So in mm. order to slow down that film, it's a much bigger editing process. Um, and it's a much more complicated editing process to slow down film. So um, that's why I think I, I think the fight sequences, I'm going to maybe disagree with you a little bit. I think the fight sequences from a filmmaker standpoint in Rocky Two, I enjoyed them so much more because I know how hard it was to, to do what they did. You know. Oh, oh! T- I mean, I don't yeah. get me wrong. I if I had to say which one is better, like objectively yeah. better, Rocky Two is a better fight sequence. Yeah. I, I just I for for me, I just kind of enjoyed the fact that it was a little more sparse. Mm-hmm. The action on the screen was was what you had, and you had the yep. sounds of the fight. There wasn't as much score. There wasn't as many cuts and things like that. I just kind of appreciated that kind of old school mentality of it. Yeah. I absolutely appreciate what they did in the first one because they didn't have a lot of money. I mean, if you look at the Rocky or Sylvester Stallone wanted 300 extras for the ice skating rink and it was too Mm. expensive. So he had one extra (laughs) and he walked in and he just was like, all right. And they went with it. You know what I mean? But he Mm -hmm. wanted to have 300 people on the ice in that scene and they couldn't afford it, you know, which is amazing to me. I would be surprised if they had 300 extras during the fight scene at the end. Because I think that was one of those deals where they had to keep moving people around. camera tight. Yeah, they also had to keep the camera really tight on that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and you can still see the empty seats behind them in Mm -hmm. most of the shots. I mean, even though they they tried to make the rest of the the arena pitch black, you know, like blacker than black. And and you can still see like, nope, that's all empty seats up there. Well, and you're looking at like if you if you were to shoot this in a modern day setting and you needed to fill an arena with a thousand people, that's 50 to 100 bucks per extra. Mm -hmm. You know, so back then, I'm sure it was comparable. And they just I mean, the idea that they couldn't afford the extras for those for any of those sequences tells you what their budget was, you know, and they got they they got so much out of the money they had. I don't think that Sylvester Stallone even really took any money for that. Um, He might have taken like back end, but -hmm. I'm not sure he even got paid for it in the beginning. Yeah. Well, I think when when uh, when he goes and he he takes Marie away from the kids at the store and he's walking away with her, if I'm remembering right, like that Hertz truck that's in back parked there, yeah. that's like their that's their shooting truck. That's oh like yeah, that's all their the like grip truck, their grip and electrical. Yeah. And I just yep. love that fact that it's like it is. It's just so out of place. This Hertz, tr- you know, big old box mm-hmm. truck there, and you're like, the heck is that doing there at like nine o'clock at night in <laughs> nasty street in Philadelphia. Like, ah, right. well, we need to fill this. No one bothered to move it and we can't reshoot it because we don't have the film. You know? It makes me wonder though, if they were able to get the, this is ridiculous, but I wonder if they were able to get the Hertz logo to approve being in the film, because when you do something like that, you have to have their permission. And if they don't give you permission, you either have to blur it or you have to block it. So I'm wondering yeah. if they even got the permission to use it or if they were just like, Meh, whatever, <laughs> we're just going to use it and see. And if they come after us, they come after us, you know, I don't know because it's, it felt like a lot of that movie was shot. Like I I'm wondering how many permits were actually pulled or if it was oh, just that's, like, no, that's, that's a really just- good question. Actually. Um, in some of the background of the film so the scenes where they're shooting the montage of him running through the streets of philadelphia mm-hmm. they didn't permit anything they did they, they just that was gorilla all the way they took a camera yeah. they took whatever light they could get out there and they just followed in a car and they they didn't get any permits for that and to this day every time i watch it i and especially in, well in the first movie when he's running down that alleyway with a mm-hmm. not alleyway but the street with a market yep. and all that and the dude like obviously yells to Stallone and throws him an orange Mm -hmm. and just is kind of laughing in the background. Like that couldn't have been planned. Like Mm -mm. that's just something like I was like, Hey, I'm going to get in the movie. I don't know what it is. They're just running. I mean, I mean, he probably was out there with just like a shoulder camera, Rocky, 
a light, maybe sound, uh, or probably not even sound. That's more than likely. That's why they made it a montage mm -hmm. because they probably couldn't get that much sound with no permits or running down the street guerrilla style. So that's it's funny to me that like that those montages became something huge in the film industry based on this movie going forward. But they probably did it for budgetary reasons. Yeah, they just didn't well, have the money to do what they needed to do. Yeah. And the fact that they kept on having to go back and, and uh, Vic Conti, who scored the movie, they were like, mm -hmm. oh, well, we need 30, 30 seconds. We need we need a minute. We need yep. two minutes. We need. Yep. And he kept he kept on having to write, you know, going to fly just that much. More. <laughs> All right. Now we how about some vocals? OK, sure. Why not? You got to. Yep. You have to imagine like Vic Connie probably had a little bit of a drinking problem by the end of this process. Like I just, <laughs> probably, I they probably all him. did. If John Appleson <laughs> calls again, I'm not here. All right. I'm, just, I'm out. Yep. Oh my uh, gosh. So uh, next, next uh, question here is, is this in the discussion of one of the top three, like one, two punch movies in cinematic history? Mel? I think so. I think so. I think that like, I, th this goes back to my first answer, which is, I can't think of a film. I can't think of two films sequential besides Harry Potter, which isn't a very mm. good example because it's based on a book um, that to me, it's one film. So I don't, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I know of any other films that are like that where you could basically put them on back to back and it would feel like you were watching a four and a half hour film. Mm. True. Yeah. What about you, Tim? Uh, I would say yes. I, I I would say, given you know what we've been discussing and and just you know a lot of the high points of it and the fact that we were really scraping the barrel for any sort of weaknesses, um, that you know it's it, it it does stand to to be one of the top um, one two punch movies because of of the cohesiveness and because of the strength of characters, story, uh, and and depth you know that exists there. Um, it's, it's rare to have that and have it done consistently. And so I think, uh, I, I think they're definitely in the discussion. Yeah. Right on for me, I would say, uh, unequivocally. Yes. And mm -hmm. I would, I would even go so far as to say, I think that the discussion for the top spot really comes down to Godfather and this. Okay. Mm -hmm. I've got to see Godfather too, then that's I, I don't film student. No, no, just, you know, <laughs> C plus. No, we at least. did. We we when we first did this whole thing, we we did the Avengers movies. So where so um, yeah. so Uncle Todd, where where would you kind of put that in comparison? Because I know there is an artistic aspect to this. I know that, like we talked about, that there are probably strengths to like this particular combo versus that. Um, and we don't have to go deep on it, but I, I was just curious your your thoughts there, because because I think we came very highly rating that one too. Oh, totally. And, and, and well-deserved too, because as, as I, if I think I'm remembering correctly, which I mean, it's <laughs> always a shot in the dark. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that I came away saying like, it's, these aren't just good comic book movies. They're, they're, they're good movies, if not great movies in and mm -hmm. of themselves. Uh, and you don't have to qualify it with anything. Um, and that's attributed, attributed to, you know, direction, the st overall story, the acting, you know, the actual acting performances and not just like kick punch special effects. Um, I would say it's, it's probably at best third, because like I said, I think Rocky yeah. Godfather would have to fight it out for the top spot. And then obviously that whoever doesn't make it's number two Avengers Endgame, you know, infinity war Endgame at best number three, but of course then there's others that, you know, even ones that Mel had raised like Terminator one and two, which, Oh my gosh, I haven't somehow we managed to let that one slip through our fingers. I think Terminator know. two is probably one of my favorite sequels of all time. Oh, 
Yeah. Such and on, a, honestly, so is Sister Act too, but well, that's a different discussion. <laughs> and actually, honestly, so is Grease Well, they're too, so, so similar, you know? <laughs> they really are similar. I mean, you I can draw mean. a lot of comparisons to John Connor, to Whoopi Goldberg's character. I could go <laughs> Yeah, all come on. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer is in Grease 2. It's, uh, I'm I, a, I get into a lot of trouble because I prefer Grease 2 over Grease 1, but... Uh, I don't like either of them, so oh, it's, no. it's fine. That's, you, you know, hey, to eat their own. What's Shame. It? Okay, but I, how do you feel about break-in one and two? Oh, I mean, none better. I, mean, <laughs> I can't even remember the last time I saw either of those movies. So it's, I just, they I have remember. killer soundtracks. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I mean, how could you not? Old school all the way. <laughs> all right, let's get in some quick hit questions here. Uh, okay. over, uh, some ratings uh, on a basis of one to five. Overall plot and story. And my gosh, so you two have already filled in your ratings. So I'm going to be the only surprise here. My goodness. Uh, Tim, what do you got? Uh, I went with five. Um, you know, again, just just I think we've we've hit all the high points. But I, I feel like across these two movies, there is, uh, you know, a very strong story being told um, within each respective movie. There are, you know, these subplots going on and, and these relationships being built and developed that I um, that I think give it a lot of heart. And, and so I think overall, and, and, you know, Mel, Mel said it best. I, it does feel like they, like this could be one big four hour movie, you know, like there, there really isn't a break in continuity or cohesiveness. Um, mm. and the story of two is really kind of an, an you know, the, the natural evolution from one, um, which again, lends itself to the, strength of the characters, depth of the characters and, and, and how they, they journey, you know, from, from beyond the, the end of one throughout two and, and, you know, toward the end of, of, of what to resolve. So, uh, I'm going to go five on that, my friend. Right on Mel, what have you got? Um, I'm a five as well for all the reasons that, uh, Tim just said. And then I would just add my own personal opinion. It's one of my favorite scripts of all time. And I'm pretty sure it's the reason why almost every script that I write is an underdog script. <laughs> nice. I'm pretty sure that Rocky made me into the filmmaker that I am today. Right on. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with a five as well. Um, I watching Rocky yesterday, my overall thought was, there, no one. Everyone keeps trying to tell an underdog story. I don't know mm. that anyone has done it any better Mm-mm. than Rocky. Nope. I, I can't. I mean, think most of sports one. stories are underdog stories, but this is just the ultimate. You know. Yeah, it's just because, and and you could say, oh well, there's this, there's that. You can nitpick at it, but I mean, for what they had, and then mm. the other aspects of it that are that are not as usual things in sports movies, like the slower pace, you yep. know, the development of some of the, char- the different characters. I don't know. I don't know how you get a better representation of a good underdog story that is also like a legit great movie. You know, agreed. It's kind of groundbreaking, groundbreaking in a way, in that mm-hmm. like we talked about, a lot of elements from these two ended up being what you know are, are now used pretty regularly by movies that are in some ways derivative of it. So, mm-hmm. oh, totally. I mean, it's so funny. I was I I went and I I fast forwarded through most of Rocky Balboa to kind of get to that end fight. And watching it, I I remember when they were talking about making that, they had talked about how they wanted it to be more of a modern shooting style. They wanted it to look like yeah. one of the the HBO or Showtime, you know, uh, fights that they would have and have that modern feel. And I'm like, it's so funny when you think that how Rocky has influenced the way that we view sports mm-hmm. and then that Rocky would then say, OK, well, now we have to change a little bit of what we do to be to, sh- to represent what we've influenced. 
Yeah. It's this weird kind of circle, you know? I mean, and look at found- Million Dollar Baby, you know? Mm. And he found a way to do one thing that hadn't been done in a fight yet, which is that ending where they're both just like beating the tar out of each other as the bell goes off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And of course, Rocky gets the last punch. You know? Oh, yeah. But they, but it's interesting because in both films, there's not really a winner. I mean, yes, right. Apollo right. wins the first one, technicality. Rocky wins the second one because he gets back up. But mm. the thing that's so amazing to me is that you're so invested in both the characters. You really don't care who wins. You want Rocky to win because he's the underdog. But right. Yeah. Apollo is such an amazing character too. And there's the struggle is so real for both of them that I was, I would have been happy if in Rocky two, they both fell to the mat. You know what I mean? I love that Rocky won because that helps, you know, his ego uh, and his character and who he is as a human being. But you know, it's two films in a row where there's not a clear winner. Yeah. Mm. You know, when then you get the, uh, then you get that, the ending of Rocky three, which is to me is just so wonderful. It's why I love the, I love the kind of the first three is the arc. Mm-hmm. And and it's, it's selfish because I just I love Carl Weathers I love his portrayal of Apollo Creed and oh and you get to that end and and he's like he's like you beat me by one second that's a very hard thing for a man like me to take and it, so, <laughs> for for and a then, man of my intelligence to handle man of my intelligence yeah and, and so then you then you get that moment where and freezes on them both like punching at each other and yeah. that's it and you're like bah! And then you, and don't you know, wait. but the the next line is Rocky just being like, he seems really upset. Yeah, <laughs> but then but then you get you have to wait like twenty some odd years for yeah. I think it was Creed one where he asks you know uh, Adonis Creed asks him like who won that third fight, mm-hmm. and you find out Apollo won the third fight. He's like he's yeah. the, he was the best, you know, yeah. and I mean, it's just I love that part. I love that. Anyways, um, so overall uh, writing and direction, uh, Tim, what do you got this one ranked as one to five? Uh, well, with with the the company we have here, I feel the least qualified to rate this. Um, so, so I'm going to uh, I, I'm going to go with a five just because I feel like, and, and we talked about this with the pacing and stuff. There's just elements of it that I think, you know, just make it a uh, a, a really strong movie to to watch. And and clearly the decisions made and the way they they portrayed certain things, the the shots they took, you know, were all all elements and aspects of of making the movie feel you know, just, just like, like the, the, uh, the solid story that it is. And so I, I put a five for it because I honestly don't know any other way they, they could have done it better. Um, yeah. but I'm very curious to hear Mel because I'm sure you will bring the, the technical, uh, industry background to, 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 uh, educate us. Well, I would say, I mean, I'm going with a five on this one and it's based solely on how Sylvester Stallone got the film made. I mean, yeah. you know, I will say this coming uh, being a woman who worked in Hollywood, it's very difficult to get a film made um, as a, as a man or a woman. But I think, you know, Todd and I have talked about this before when we were discussing Goodwill hunting, you know, yes, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck really struggled to get that film made. But at the end of the day, they also walked into, you know, a major studio's office and they were offered an option that they walked away from because they thought they could do better. And then the next place they walked into they said, sure. That doesn't happen often unless you are a good looking white man. And I'm saying that to two good looking white men. But what I'm saying to you oh, is shucks. what I'm saying to you. You is, haven't seen a recent picture of either. I of have. I've seen, I've seen your workout <laughs> pictures. So come on. Tom. I follow you on Instagram. Uh, oh. Although I haven't seen Tim in a while, but I'm assuming that he's also very handsome. But <laughs> my my point is that when you walk into an office as a good looking white man, you often get the yes. You know, um, Sylvester Stallone didn't do that because he didn't have that because he 
did have a little bit of a speech impediment. He did look a little bit doughy in the face. He he ends up being a very attractive human being, but it was so hard for him to get this film made. And he stuck by, you know, his writing and he stuck by the idea that he was going to be the one to play this character. And he waited for whatever came along in order for him to make this, you know, happen for himself. And he had nothing at the time. I mean, mm. I think the guy was like close to being homeless at the time. So the script's beautiful, in my opinion. And um, the idea that people looked at him and thought he was too dumb to write something like this um, really bothers me. But he ended up winning an Oscar for it. And he's he was an amazing actor in the film. I thought the... I liked that he was able to direct the second one. That shows you what um, being successful in Hollywood gives you, which it gives you a direction. It gives you direction on the second film. The first film I thought was really directed well. I loved um, how sparse it was. I loved what they were able to do with a very low budget. Um, so yeah, five, five for me. Yeah, I will. I will also go with the five, and I I do appreciate the fact that it was two different directors, uh, same mm-hmm. writer, two different directors. Stallone's writing uh, is amazing. He, like he, like Mela said, you know, he he just knows this character and knows this story so well, and was able. But you can know something, you can have it all in your head, but until you actually execute it on a page that makes people go, "Oh wow, this yep. could really be something," it doesn't mean anything. And he managed to do that in such a compelling way. Um, I do and appreciate convince other people of it. Yes, which That's is, is huge, huge. Yeah. And uh, I do like the fact that even though John Avelson didn't come back, I don't think he directed another Rocky movie until five. Mm. One of those. And I, and it's like, John, maybe you, not a great idea to come back for that one. Um, but he. Wait, did he, you just knock Rocky five? Kind of. Yeah. I love Rocky five. OK, go ahead. Really? <laughs> wow. OK. <laughs> I mean, we got a big Tommy Gunn fan here. Um, <laughs> Tommy the Machine Gun. Yes, that's right. Which is is only the second worst Rocky villain name next to Mason the Line. The Line Dixon. Oh, I mean, come, come on, on. But John Avildsen, he also directed Karate Kid. You know? Yeah, oh, no. John Avildsen, yeah. I mean, believe me, he's directed more. He, number one, he's directed more things than I ever will. But he's directed <laughs> better things than I could ever imagine. But yeah. I, I appreciate what he what he did in that first movie and then how Sylvester Stallone took some of those elements. And because you saw like the first couple movies until we get to four where even Stallone is kind of mentioned, like I kind of didn't know what to do. And you, so you have the big montages like are 80 percent of the movie. Um, Stallone really incorporated a lot of that sparseness into his 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 take on it. So I do appreciate how the, those two influenced each other and, and went forward. I mean, this was Stallone's second movie directing and his first mm-hmm. movie yeah. was not successful. Right. So, I mean, to, to then have this movie be your second one. Dang, that's yep. that's pretty darn good right there. Um, yeah. Agreed. And the world was so yet far, to behold Rhinestone, right? Was, 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 wasn't it one <laughs> right. was that him and Dolly we, Parton? Yeah, we talked about that last time. That I that's right. Oh, that's right. We did <laughs> Rhinestone. Yep. Oh my gosh! You know what? We need to we need to have a, a montage of Sylvester Stallone as a country artist, along <laughs> mm-hmm. with uh, with Dwayne the Rock Johnson in Ugh. I think it was what it was a Be Cool where he was yep. he he wanted to be the country and western singer. <laughs> I, I, I want to see that act, actually, that act today. I think mm. that would be fascinating. A buddy movie of Sylvester Stallone and The Rock oh, as aspiring God. country and Western singers. Yeah. Come and on. The and the, and of the, the turtles. turtles. And, and the, the turtles. turtles. Yeah. A road, you can make it a road trip movie. 
Uh-huh. They could be on the. They could keep the turtles on the dashboard of the van. It'd be great. See, we've it writes itself. Um, you know, so, maybe you should uh, write it, Todd. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, what about the uh, strength depth of protagonists? Uh, how would you rate this? Uh, we'll go with Tim first here. Uh, I I went with five because it was Rocky. You know, I mean, he's he he is just a a you know kind. Of, I don't know how to quite put it. Like not not a template, but but a a kind of a protagonist that has certainly influenced, you know, a lot of other sports movies, um, you know, that have, you, that have you come will. since. And, and I think he, uh, you know, Stallone really, you know, as Mel said, really understood the character, portrayed it very, you know, authentically. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's really hard to ever imagine anyone else being Rocky Balboa, you know? Um, mm. and, and, and the fact that through all the movies, um, you know, as well, that, that, that character maintained, that heart of gold and that, that, that attitude of, of always, you know, pushing forward, picking yourself up and, and, you know, fighting, um, you know, has just, you know, persisted through all, you know, the movies that have followed after these two. So, so I think, uh, you know, as movies go, you know, Rocky is one of the strongest, you know, protagonist characters I I can think of, um, you know, based on, on a lot of film that I've seen. So now five for him. Right on. What about you, Mel? Uh, yeah, I'm a five as well. I mean, and I think actually Tim said exactly what I was about to say at the beginning when he said, because it's Rocky. I mean, that's <laughs> five because it's Rocky. Yeah, for everything that I agree with everything Tim said, I don't really have anything to add to that one. Yeah, I will go with a five as well. And uh, the one thing I, I meant to kind of mention earlier is just about Rocky is how emotionally honest he is. Mm-hmm. And upfront with his emotions throughout the whole thing. And that's mm. kind of the funny thing is like, he's not trying to be like the manly, manly tough guy, which is kind of odd because you do have that with Polly. Polly is trying to be like, yeah, I'm the rah, rah. like, he's that kind of that toxic <laughs> masculine idea of I'm, I'm in charge and this and that Rocky. Like I forgot the one the, in the moment uh, in Rocky one, when him and Adrian, when he snaps at her a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and when she's trying to like, you know, comfort him or he just he, he just got through punching the meat. So he's she's unwrapping his hands and all that. And he <laughs> snaps at her a little bit and she goes in the kitchen like immediately he realizes I was an idiot and he gets up and goes and apologizes. Yep. And, and I was like, wow. And he's just always very upfront about his emotions throughout the whole thing. Like there's very little emotional veneer with him. Yep. And I just I kind of appreciated that about Rocky. Like it, it's it's all right there. One of my favorite lines, I think, in Rocky Two is when it's again when they go to look at the house and he says to the real estate agent or he's talking to Adrian and uh, they're over by the staircase and he says, you know, I have a really hard time talking about this kind of stuff when the lights are on. And so I'm thinking he's about to say something like kind of sexual or intimate or whatever. And he literally just says to her, I couldn't have done this without you, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. and and then the realtor comes over and he's like, hey, can we, can we have some, I need to do this in secret or I need some privacy or something like that. Yeah. And he like shoes the realtor away. But he literally says to her, I, I'm not, I shouldn't be saying this without the, with the lights on. Mm. And, and then he says, I couldn't have done this without you basically. And so yeah. that the idea that um, somebody is humble and has enough humility to be able to apologize, especially during that time frame. Um, and to be able to continuously remind their partner how much they love them and that they're always there and that they couldn't do any of this without them. I, you know, he's just a gem. Yeah. He's a good guy. When, and also that, that kind of vulnerability of, 
almost like I, I don't, how do I say this? Like I, now I think about it when he has that emotional scene right before the big fight in Rocky One, and he's telling mm-hmm. Adrian, "I can't do it. I can't beat him," and all this. He's not looking at her the whole time. Almost like if I look at you, I can't say this. Yep. Exactly. But I'm gonna be. I'm just gonna. I'm bearing my soul right now. Like this is who I. I, I don't. I don't believe I can do it. You know. Yep. And it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so let's go to uh, the strength slash depth of antagonist, and let's swap this around. And Mel, uh, what are you going to rate this one, one to five? Uh, I'm definitely a five on this one too. I mean, the we we just talked about the depth of. I mean, I would say that Apollo is the antagonist, um, mm. and just because you know he's the one he's fighting. But there, I think that there are other antagonists in the film, which is uh, scarcity. You know um, how poor Rocky is, his background everything's i mean he everything's fighting against this guy in the movie mm-hmm. and he still has this like sort of beautiful outlook on life so uh all of the antagonists in the film are very strong to me because they're layered and they make everybody human so that's what i'd say right on what about you tim uh yeah same as mel i i went with five uh, apollo creed is for me just a a you know, kind of stands on his own as as a a villain, but a complex villain and a villain with depth. And and it's really hard to call him a villain. You know what I mean? Like right. he he exactly. he he is an I think yeah antagonist is, is is probably the better term. And um you know he isn't uh you know as we talked about he has his own set of challenges. He has his own set of struggles, and it, it's just very interesting to kind of see this you know, like I called it like a tragedy of Apollo Creed, you know, just to see this, the, the, the fall of, of the greatest of, you know, all time as he calls himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but in, in doing so, you know, especially, you know, post Rocky two to see how that develops into a brotherhood and how that, you know, continues on even through the Creed series, you know, like, you know, for furthering Rocky's heart of gold, you know, uh, uh characteristic with, with, you know, training and, and, you know, and in some ways taking care of his son, you know, that, that just these two, you know, warriors were able to kind of bond after, you know, their, their respective careers were over, um, you know, just lends itself to how strong a character he was from the very beginning. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I, I got to go a five on that. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to agree with both of you and this is turned quickly, very quickly turning into a, uh, a love fest here, but actually that was, that was 30 seconds in, who am I kidding? Uh, but yeah, five all the way Apollo, he manages to pull off this wonderful thing of, you know, to put it in wrestling parlance, you know, he's the heel, but he's the heel because he's just that damn good. Mm-hmm. Like he's the bad guy because you're just like, how can you possibly beat him? He's that good and he's that confident. And he and the fact is, like, all of his confidence is totally well founded. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he is. He, look at him. Just, you know, mm-hmm. um, and he's also happens to be arguably the smartest guy in the movie. Yeah. You know, like he's yeah. smarter than the guy who's promoting the fight. Like, I've got an idea. This is what we're going to do. And let, I'm going to pick out, you know, Rocky, which, well, maybe he's not so smart on that one. Um, you know, maybe should have picked gone with the I, I forget what it was. Something snow. I remember that it was another oh, yeah. guy that they picked, they listed out. And I'm like, maybe you should have gone with that snow guy. I'm just saying <laughs> you might have still had the title um, and then there wouldn't have been a sequel. Uh, but, you know, just a fantastic overall guy who doesn't have to resort to being villainous mm-hmm. even though in the in two he kind of starts getting into that heelish territory where he's trying to goad rocky into things but even then it's just still like he's just that good and it's it's his ego that makes him 
yeah. you know, kind of the villain in that case and, and, you know, ends up being his own downfall. That's, I was going to jump in and say that, like, I think that's what's so interesting about him is really in Rocky one, the most, if you want to call it quote unquote villainous he gets is when he's just taunting him in the first couple rounds. Yeah. Like everything leading up to that is as a champion, I want to offer someone an opportunity. There's nothing evil about that. You know what I mean? Like, no. like everything well, about him. It's, it's not even that he's offering an opportunity. He's just trying to make money. So that he, he's trying to he's trying to put the fight together so that he doesn't lose money. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's trying. It's a, it's a total business decision. Yeah. You yeah. know. So in Rocky One, he really isn't. You know, there's really no malicious intent. Now in Two, he's just trying to goad him to get back into the ring. So he's going to start, you know, attacking him verbally and and teasing right. him and all this sort of thing. And 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 we we didn't quite touch on this, but. You know, you, you know, you're a good antagonist when when you get Mickey to, you know, basically knock over whatever snack he was eating. <laughs> <in bed. laughs> right. It was like it was like saltines and milk. I think. <laughs> yeah, bum. That seems yeah. about right. Saltines and milk. I he think we ought to really knock upset. his block off. Oh my god! He just seems really upset. He seems really upset. Everyone's really upset except for Rocky. Rocky is just like he is. He's zen-like in yeah. this movie. Yep. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. So now we come to a uh, strength depth of secondary characters. Uh, Mel, what do you got this one rated as? I'm, this is the only one I rated as a four. And, you know, ah. I, I rated it as a four because I, there's, there are certain characters that I think they could have done away with. Um, and then there are certain characters that I wanted to see a little bit more of. I'm very interested in the wives. Um, and mm. then I would love, I'm not to this day. I don't really know why Polly's in the movie other than, <laughs> to have the relationship with Adrian, but he has the relationship with Adrian through the pet store. I don't know why Polly's in, in either movie. And I, I want to, I, I wish that that character honestly could go away because he doesn't add, he doesn't add a lot to humanity <laughs> uh, in, in the long run. I, you know, and it doesn't have anything to do with him being a drunk or anything like that. It's just sort of like he's this extraneous character to add color and to create this relationship with Adrian. If I were to look at this, if I were looking at the script and I was having to make a production or direction decision on this script today, I would say Axe Polly. Mm. That's, so that's, that's the only reason why I gave it a four. I wanted a little bit more of the relationships with the wives um and i and i just you know i love the meat scene when he's like when he's beating up the the hanging meat but mm. we still don't need polly for that scene right, right. yeah so, anyway that's my well, that that's the only one that i marked down for on four at four all right so what do you got here tim uh i also went with a four um you know, I, I feel like the secondary characters were relatively strong. Um, you know, Apollo's trainer, Mickey, um, you know, Adrian, um, Apollo's wife as well, you know, all, all being parts of it. I agree with Mel that I think it would have been nice. Um, you know, we, we got some depth clearly with Adrian. It would have been nice to get a little more depth with Apollo's mm-hmm. wife as well. Um, and then um, Polly, I'm I'm kind of torn on. I, I, I totally get where Mel you're coming from, because especially in like Rocky three in the beginning of that movie, like I, it yeah. took me forever to understand, like, what was the point of that whole thing where yep. Polly, he busts him out of jail and then he starts like punching him in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And he's like, can I get a job? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was the point of this? <laughs> I mean, I know it adds yeah. color, but it, yeah. we don't need that kind of color. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it, yeah. it, 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 you know, I, I definitely see, you know, see where you're going with it. And, and 
if there's any redeeming point to, to to Polly, and it really doesn't play out in these two movies, I think it's kind of in the later movies is the way he kind of reminds, you know, Rocky about, you know, who, who he, like, like who he is to him and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. Like, like he is this kind of, you know, this, this younger brother who, who, or older brother, I guess, who, who's jealous of him constantly, but, you mm -hmm. know, loves him. But and we knows, get that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yep. and that kind of thing. So, so, you know, I, I, I don't have as much of an issue that, there with him, but I totally get what, you know, what you're saying. I mean, he is just an awful person in these two movies and. It and doesn't really, really add much to the story. No, no, not, yeah. not really at all. Um, so it's, it's, uh, but, but overall I, I felt like they did a good job with the secondary characters. And I guess yeah. if there is a weakness, I mean, maybe it's somewhere in there, you know, with maybe a little more development, but it's, you know, I'm, I'm getting nitpicky at this point sort of thing. Me too. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so four for me on that. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you both on this one. I'm giving it a five. Uh, ah, uh -oh. going five I'm across gonna, the board. I'm, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, here's an opinion question. Would you guys say that Mickey is a primary or a secondary character? I'd say Mickey's secondary. Okay. Cause if that, if that's the case, I got to give it a five almost just on the performance of yeah. Burgess Meredith. But I mean, that's what, that's sort of my point about Polly. If you have Burgess Meredith and Mickey, why do you need Polly? Yeah. Well, I, here's the thing. I feel like Polly serves a purpose. It's almost like if you don't, if you don't have some of the, the, the goodness that Rocky has, this is where you're going to end up. Like he is, mm -hmm. he is the, he is the goofus to Rocky's gallant. And I get, I, I totally get where you're saying, like, you don't necessarily need him for the movie. You really don't. Like, you could right. take out Paulie and you could do all those things. But it does give you a, a good contrast and it does help you to understand just like, oh, here's Rocky who's living in the, in kind of the same, if not worse, situation than Paulie. I mean, Paulie at least has a, a legitimate job that is, you know, not illegal for all of, <laughs> for all of his faults. He at least is getting a tax form. Rocky, not so much. Um <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you look at that and you're like, you could end up as Polly. And, and that idea of the meat scene where, you know, he starts talking about Adrian and Rocky starts hitting the side of beef for the first time. And just that look of, it, it kind of reinforces that like, oh, that could be my face. Like I, I, I'm messing with this guy. So there's moments like that where I see that Polly serves a purpose and I, I can see where the character does provide a contrast throughout I grant you, it's not like the most important thing in the world. It, it really isn't like you could find other ways to, to do that. And, and there are some faults that I would find. I, I would have liked to have seen at least an, one more scene with uh, Apollo's wife to kind mm. of humanize Apollo further or to add a little extra depth to where he was at emotionally in that movie. Yeah. Kind of get why you didn't. Although there's, I feel like you could have cut, cut a minute or so out of training scenes and probably gotten that <laughs> no um, i no. mean it's it's not quite to the extreme of rocky four but That's still it's my favorite um <laughs> no i love but, the montage scenes come on I love oh it. no i mean i love i love me a good montage but it's it, it's like well we could have stole from here to get this and it would have worked out fine uh but i mean it, just for mickey uh and and for apollo's trainer uh which is what uh, his last name is duke i forget what this first name tony is. burton yeah, but they they he doesn't even have a name in the first two movies and but yet he adds He's so, so many, important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like in the first movie, just kind of 
working with Apollo and, and that frustration of like, just stick and move. Like, and he, it's the same thing in both scene in both fight scenes. Like he's just telling him to stick and move. Like, are you a moron? He's also just- telling him to stay down. Oh, yeah. Well, he was going to stop the fight. That's right. He was going to stop the fight in the first round. And then, of course, uh, you know, that first one where he's like, you know, I I saw you hit that man. I saw you beat that (laughs) man. I've seen any man get beat before. And he just kept coming. (laughs) That's a man we don't need in our lives, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. He's like the voice of reason. It's like, how did he not get like a best, you know, supporting actor nomination? How did he not get a name? Well, yeah, until Rocky (laughs) three. And then you finally find out, oh, that's his name. Oh, okay. Like, come on, at least throw out the guy's name. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to give it a five just just for those, even though I, I do recognize where Mel's and and, you, and Tim is coming from with the uh, with the Polly problems, because he is. Yeah. He's a problematic character. He, he was a problematic, a problematic character in 1970, 76 and 79, yeah. let alone now. <laughs> I mean, yeah. come on. So uh, then we'll I guess we'll go to our final category, which is sequel cohesiveness. And I think this one's going to be pretty much ducks in a barrel, but uh, mm-hmm. I'll ask it anyways. Mel, where are you going to rate this one? Oh, I'm a five. I mean, this goes along with me thinking that it's one movie. So I just think that it's the best example of a sequel that that is cohesive. I I can't imagine I can't to this day think of any other one and two film that goes together as well as these two. Mm. Yeah. Tim, what do you got? I will also uh, go a five um, for all the reasons we've stated for the last hour and a half. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The Cliff Notes version is, yes, five. Indeed. <laughs> Your Honor, I submit the last 90 minutes of audio as exhibits A through triple Z. <laughs> and uh, I will also go with a five for all of those reasons. And because, I mean, come on, it, they, it, it, they actually overlap. They actually managed to overlap. So how much more cohesive could you possibly get? Exactly. Indeed. Right on. Well, thank you, Mel. Uh, we will uh, a bid adieu to you because we know mm-hmm. that you're traveling. So we will uh, thank you for taking your time and hanging out with us. And we appreciate it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, take care and, uh, you know, get to watching uh, Godfather 2, would you? I know. I know. I will. Thank you guys for having me again. And I think we have a couple more episodes with uh, The Departed, Taxi Driver and Godfather 1 and 2. So you yes. get on watching those two. I will watch The Godfather 2. Tim. I hope you don't get hit with a lot of snow like we did. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and another thing. Yeah! Well, sir, what have you got for this week's And Another Thing? Uh, my And Another Thing is really uh, not anything brand spanking new or, or out there or different. Um, what? I know. What the hell you say? I know. Well, after watching John Adams, I've decided that it is time did that you, I watch. Did you get all the way through it? Uh, I did. Very, nice. very impressed. Very impressed. Uh, liked it a lot. Thought it was very well done. And uh, I don't know if I said this last week when I was talking about it, but you know, I, I really liked episode three where they used a lot of filming techniques to kind of convey the uncomfortableness of him being an ambassador in France and just how out of his element he was. Mm. Um, but but the last one was really cool with you know the whole exchange between him and Jefferson uh, le- leading up to their deaths and thought it was interesting that his I like I don't know if this is if this is history or not but the fact that he uttered the the line Thomas Jefferson survives but they both basically die on the 50th anniversary of of the country was was I thought really interesting and and poetic in a lot of ways so yeah apparently that story is apocryphal like he did say that 
Um, okay. And the truth, okay. the truth being that uh, Jefferson had passed away several hours before that. Mm. Uh, but of course, he wouldn't know that being in Massachusetts and Jefferson being in Virginia and communication being what it was at the time. So he had no way of knowing that. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, apparently that was that was among his last words, but it was not his last words. OK, but it, right. it kind of is the mo- it is the more famous of his last words. So that's where it, you know, kind of works out and what the heck, you know, works for a good story. Nice. Well, my uh, my wife and I are talking about next series to look at. Um, I, I've heard this this Seinfeld kid is going to be something big, so I might jump. Ooh, on that. look at you! Uh, <laughs> no, we're we're actually going to uh, pr- watch something that I think is still running. In fact, I think a, a season four is coming out uh, soon, if not already. Uh, Ozarks uh, was is, is a show we were kind of curious about. So yeah, I've heard I've heard some hype about that. But I will do that on another and another thing. Uh, right now, uh, this one is is really I'm in the middle of a rewatch of the BSG miniseries and season one. Uh, it, you know, if you've listened to a lot of our episodes, you know that we are uh, plentiful with the praise that we heap upon this series. And mm-hmm. uh, this is nothing new and and nothing crazy and, and different. But uh, if you are listening, if you have not seen BSG from the 2000s please take the time to watch it it is on the peacock and it is uh just a chef's kiss uh kind of a show just so well done and especially you know season one is such a strong season um and and you know just with all the character development and, and deep storytelling that goes on so uh do check it out i'm i'm, I'm enjoying it uh I, I texted uncle todd the other day i was watching bastille day which i believe mm. is episode four or five somewhere around there and, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing funnier than, than the drunk salt eye who's walking around, uh, you know, trying to be the XO and, and chatting it up with the crew because mm. he, there's a great exchange between him and Tyrrell and Callie where Callie's just like laughing at him. Like, what is wrong with this guy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause he's just like way over the top in terms of the, the conversation. And it was, it was funny. So anyways, check it out when you have a second, uh, BSG miniseries and season one. Very nice, sir. Very nice. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with uh, something a little bit different. Uh, this actually just showed up on the Disney Plus uh, not that long ago. And uh, I've, I've seen it before, but I hadn't watched it in a while. And it's called Four Falls of Buffalo. Wow. And it covers the Buffalo Bills uh, team that went to four consecutive Super Bowls oh, starting uh, in the 1990 season uh, through 94. And is remarkable uh, mm. just just that team because you forget how good that team was yeah you know yeah. it's easy to forget i mean but growing up as a patriots fan i remember just how terrifying thurman thomas was and now you don't you don't really get a mention of like how good he was but he mm. was absolutely terrifying i mean the man had an has an mvp and had over 2000 yards from scrimmage you know receiving and running mm-hmm. in a season back when that just didn't happen yeah. You know, that yeah. just that was not a thing that occurred all the time. I yeah. mean, he was essentially Marshall Falk before Marshall Falk in the greatest show on turf, mm-hmm. which is really the kind of what that team was. And it was very interesting just watching the the process of going through those four years uh, and kind of what led up to that and, and the, the different characters on that team. Um, and because it, it was also the, the first Super Bowl that I really remember watching as a, as an NFL, like a, an NFL fan, the one that I, that stands out to me was Super Bowl 25 bills versus giants. And I was like, there's no freaking way the giants can compete against this team. Cause again, I was a Patriots fan. I'd watched this team. 
I had watched the Patriots just basically get their tail kicked in by this team. And then to watch that game unfold where I'm like, what's going on? How in the world can this Giants team who who were not didn't have a prime running back, didn't really have a prime receiver, were mm-hmm. playing with their backup quarterback. Like Phil Sims was the quarterback of that team, and they had Jeff Hosteller that year, remember? Mm-hmm. Like that was the year that that Sims got hurt. I think it was I can't remember where he got hurt, but it was it was not like in the playoffs. I, I'm pretty sure he got hurt somewhere in the middle of the season. And Hostetler took over and they go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And kind of going back to what we talked about with Rocky and Apollo, somewhat the undoing of the Bills team that that season or in that Super Bowl was the fact that Bill Belichick basically says, hey, you can run all you want. I'm not mm-hmm. going to let you pass. And yep. it was just trying to contain the pass. And the, and the Bills just would not take it. They could have run eight, nine yards per carry. Like Thurman Thomas ended up having something like 135 yards rushing on 15 carries. Jeez. And if they had just continued to run, they could have won that game. Yeah. You know, and all this. But then just every season, it gets worse and worse and worse about how the losses in the Super Bowl would pile up. And it's it's and here's the thing, like people love to give that Bills team a hard time and all Mm -hmm. they but they went to four. No one else has ever done that. Yeah. Only two other teams have gone to three straight. And I mean, just the fact that the other part being like we live in a, you know, being New England fans growing up. And the way that Bill Buckner was villain, uh, villainized, mm. you know, vilified for you know his his role in the 1986 Red Sox losing the World Series, which you know you can look at the five other things that happened before the ball roll between Buckner's legs, but yeah. just how much the grief that guy got over the years before you know they were like, oh well, we all is forgiven, and he's like, screw you, I don't care, um, yeah. because I you know was my fault. The fact that. The fans in Buffalo embraced Scott Norwood after missing that kick. Mm. Just kind of is so wholesome and heartwarming. It's worth it for the entire watch. Yeah, is just like the how those fans, how passionate they were, and how love how much they loved that team. Where they they weren't going to scapegoat that guy. Yeah, that's yeah. just it was just epic. It was wonderful to watch. Anyways, I've gone nice. way too long on that. But uh, Four Falls of Buffalo, it's an ESPN thirty for thirty that. Apparently now they're filtering some of that stuff onto the plus. So definitely check that out and uh, watch it if you are even remotely in, in interested in football. Uh, it's great. Very nice. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in and listening. Thank you again to Mel for for joining us. She, uh, we uh, we appreciate every bit of everyone tuning in. Uh, thank you all members of the Free Range Idiocy Congregation who have joined us here once again. We do certainly appreciate it. And if you have not yet subscribed, well, what the hell are you waiting for? You can find us on Apple Podcasts. We are on, uh, well, you might not be on Spotify. Everyone's leaving Spotify right now, except for Joe Rogan. So we might we might be heading off of Spotify too. Who knows? No one will miss us anyways. But uh, <laughs> we're on a Google Podcast. We're, I don't know what the, where I'm going with that, but hey, you know, like I said, oh, nobody dear. cares. <laughs> Yeah, Joe Rogan's going to come after us. That Yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah, somehow I doubt it. Um, but we're on a bunch of different podcast platforms. Search for us. You'll find us. If not, if you can't find us on your podcast purveyor of choice, go to freerangeedc.com. You can subscribe through Podbean right there. You could also ask your podcast carrier to carry us. And, uh, you know, 
Yeah, maybe they'll listen to you. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias because we love ourselves some social medias. We are on the Facebook, the Instagram, and the Twitter. You can find all of those at Free Range Idiocy. If you have any questions, thoughts, comments, suggestions for shows, if you have any complaints, especially if you have any complaints, don't send them to me because I don't care. Send those to Tim at FreeRangeIdiocy.com and he'll get back to you because he's a caring, empathetic human being. And I am just a just a cold-hearted SOB. Let's just face it. That's... You know, it's my lot in life. But anyways, back to the cheerier things. Uh, it's now time for me to stop talking and hand it over to that warm-hearted human being. Uh, but not before I ask the most, uh, the second most important question ever asked by humankind. The first, of course, being what is hip? The second being, what the hell did we learn this episode? We've learned the following, my friend. Mm-hmm. We have learned that uh, in Star Wars Red 5, Uncle Todd is, is slowly coming back. Uh, He'll just, make. No, I'm He'll not. Make. I'm not coming back. I lost ground this time. I know. Like, well, uh, I'm, I'm. I'm trying to be optimistic and positive for you, my friend. You're not. You're not. <laughs> you're. You're. You're just. Be- you know, here I gave you this great, you know, introduction about you being a warm-hearted, empathetic. You're, you're like, and here you are. You're cheating me out of this. Oh, you're, 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 you have the whole game rigged, rigged, and you're trying to act like. You know, I just. I, Never mind. Just forget okay. I said anything. All right. Continue on. I'll just sit here. Book of Boba Fett is again showing us. Won't even and say a thing. All right. Book not, of Boba not Fett. Not one thing. <laughs> here we go. Book of Boba Fett, ladies and gentlemen. I won't point out anything that's going on around here. Nothing is masterclass Everything is perfectly right. In storytelling with the return of the Mandalorian. Uh, and Ahsoka, uh, one of the one of the many series that are going to air probably well before BSG from Peacock ever sees the light of day. Uh, very interested in the casting and uh, curious to see what will come of that series. Uh, again, uh, to reiterate, we have uh, not something we've learned, but want to reiterate a thank you to Mel for coming on this Podunk podcast. Uh, and and again, as we've talked about uh, the the. You know, again, I hate to use the term so soon after just saying it 30 seconds ago, but a masterclass, Rocky 1 and 2, of, of filmmaking, writing, directing, and just overall storytelling. Uh, do check it out if you have not seen these movies. Uh, they, you will not be disappointed. Uh, they are phenomenal. And with all that being said, uh, once again, uh, echoing thank you from Uncle Todd to our listenership. Thank you again to Mel one more time. And, uh, you know, as we like to close things out, we like to just say, uh, be safe, be healthy, be kind, be good to one another. And, uh, you know, we are on a budget, so please, could you hit the lights on the way out? It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. Hello, what have we here? I beg your pardon, what did you say? Just a, <laughs> that's it! Damn! You are such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. Shut up, Wesley. Get out. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. Oh, good, I can't maneuver. Stay on target. We're too close. Stay on target. Loosen up. Just hold on, Rick. Just wait a friggin' minute. Only one bad thing about putting you still here, Grim. What's that? Drysdale place is downwind. The smell of your corn liquor or brewing is gonna drive poor Miss Drysdale right out of her mind. 
He turned kind of white and trembly, and he says, Oh, please don't ever let my wife see that. I reckon she just can't leave the stuff alone. Some folks like that. Terrible. Come to think of it, that's how come she's in Boston. Hello? <laughs> oh, he's not talking. I told you. Patrick, is he over there somewhere? <laughs> told you. Not saying nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. Oh, my friend. Come on. You just keep on running your little game there. You just, you know, <laughs> whatever you got to do to feel better about yourself, that's that's between you. All right. It's not about feeling better about myself. Just a little fun. Now get the hell out of here!